When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, today we're debating Flat Earth versus Globe Earth, and we are starting right now with Leo Filius' opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us again, Leo. The floor is all yours. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having, having me again, James. James. So, so not, not going to have, have a very long opener here because, because to be, be quite, quite frank, frank, there really isn't a Flat Earth debate that happens. No, nobody's ever had a debate on the Flat Earth because there isn't a debate to be had on this. The Earth is obviously spherical. If you want to, if we want to understand the world as people and as humans, then we have to, or at least we ought set some rules for the best ways to go about doing that. And a lot of those rules involve things like, you know, going out and actually observing things in the world. Things that include consistency, that you know, our models need to be consistent. Things like parsimony, our, our models need to account for the things that we expect them to account for and do so in explicative and simplistic ways. And I, I think that when we, when we examine uh, how humans would have thought the Earth was, you know, like six, seven thousand years ago, it made sense to them. They didn't have the technology that we have today. They weren't capable of doing as sensitive measurements on not just the Earth, but various aspects of reality like we are today. And for this reason, I think that anybody would say, if you were alive six to eight thousand years ago, you'd probably think that the idea that the Earth is sort of this flat plane that perhaps just goes on forever, wouldn't have really been that far-fetched. Most humans back then probably never went more than 50 miles outside of where they lived, and there's some humans that are like that today. But as humans developed, as we began to develop technologies, and particularly as we began to travel around the world, humans began to see things change about reality going from one place on the earth to the other and noticing that the position of the sun in the sky wasn't the same. Noticing that different seasons, the sun would be at a different position in the sky. Noticing that the moon goes through cycles that seem to be related to the, the, the amount of the moon that we can see relative to our position to the moon, relative to the sun. That there was a variety of things that we began to see. That when we would see a ship go off into the distance, we would see the bottom of it disappear and then the mast at the top of the mast dis disappearing last. All of these things are things that we would see and that I could go on and on and on for hours about the things that we observe about our reality just immediately without really needing much technology and with our technology. And it seems obvious that the best model to account for why we see the world with the way that we do is that because the planet that we live on is spheroidal and is traveling at about 67,000 miles in its orbit around a massive star that is about 1.3 million times the size of our planet. We have seen these things elsewhere in reality numerous times. We know these are things that can form. We know the mechanisms, how they can do it. We can describe all this very, very well. So we know that the model is consistent. We know that it's parsimonious. It accounts for everything that we need to account for. And it explains why we see the world the way that we do. In terms of a flat Earth, I've never heard a model. I've never seen a model. All I have ever seen, all I have ever heard, are attempts to confute the model that we do have, oftentimes by appealing to things that it can't explain, that it's been capable of explaining for decades, if not centuries.
and that is all I have. Thank you. Thank you very much for that opening statement, Leo Filias. And I want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral channel hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And with it gets it, glad to have you with us. The floor is all yours for your opening as well. How's it going, everybody? Let me share the screen right here. All right. Um, yeah, so I'll cover a lot of what he said. My, my little opener here, so we'll go to view the slideshow. All right, you can see it? I think. Yes, now it's showing. Uh, cool. cool. All right, All right, so, so, one. so, before we get started, uh, as this guy said, I've never even heard a model. Um, yeah, yeah, we actually don't have to claim a model, model, or a scientific, scientific model actually used to explain phenomena, et cetera, but no one thinks that the Earth is a disk that floats around in space. No one thinks that the earth is spinning around when they say that the earth is flat. This is a straw man. So when ridiculed, it's actually ironically ignorant. So just to cover a couple basic parts of debates that should be known, um, falsification is independent of replacement. Meaning of course, if something is proven to not be true or falsified, uh, that remains a fact in and of itself. You don't have to replace it before it is not false or before it is actually falsified. The burden of proof is on the one that makes the positive claim. So the shifting the burden of proof is the fallacy of putting the burden of proof on the person who denies or questions the assert being, assertion being made. Now, this is very important to understand because as he's already done in his opener, he has shifted the burden of proof, and that is all that you ever get. So, for example, if this guy tells me that unicorns are real, <clears throat> then he shows me some CGI of a unicorn. He says, we have pictures of unicorns i can't believe you don't think unicorns are real and then he tells me i have a book and if i read my book my book tells me about this fairy tale world with giant octopuses and and unicorns everywhere and everyone agrees that this book is telling me about these unicorns that are real if we prove that those unicorns aren't real you're just reading some fictitious book that has nothing to do with reality i do not have to give you some replacement unicorn or mythological character then replace your little books and tell new stories about it before your unicorn isn't real, right? Falsifications independent of replacement. So what were we all taught in school? We were all taught the same thing, that the earth is a globe. This is what we were all taught. So when people act like, there's no debate, this is so ignorant, you guys are so un underinformed and uneducated, we were taught the same thing you were. And almost every single time, the person that ridicules the flat earther as dumb or ignorant doesn't even know a fraction about the Earth or the supposed globe Earth claims as the flat earther, which should be very telling to anyone honest. So what is the positive claim of the globe, which is what we're testing? Claim number one, the Earth is a sphere with a radius value of 3,959 miles and a supposed circumference of 24,901 miles. This is a positive claim, a shape claim of a sphere with a size claim, a dimension claim of a specific radius value. This is a positive claim. It has the burden of proof. Claim number two, the Earth is supposedly spinning over 1,000 miles per hour at the equator while revolving around the sun 66,600 miles per hour on an axial tilt of 66.6 .6 degrees. This is, of course, a positive claim of axial rotation. It has the burden of proof. Okay, claim number three is that this spinning magic globular Earth with the radius of 3959 is sitting in a vacuum of space that is encompassed in a near-perfect vacuum of 10 to the negative 17 tor. And this is a place that you can actually go to. This is a third positive claim. These are the three fundamental claims of the globe Earth. You have the burden of proof as a globe proponent to prove that this is, in fact, the case. 
So the heliocentric model has the burden of proof for all these positive claims. Okay, so that's just objectively the way that it is. I, we don't have to prove a negative. Um, we don't have to explain any question you can come up with. The burden of proof is on the one making the positive claims as the heliocentric model is. Wait, isn't saying the Earth is flat a positive claim? Um, well, yes. Yes, it is. So you have the burden of proof, right? Flat is the description of a surface. Flat is not a shape. Okay, so we have the burden of proof to show that the surface of the Earth is flat because that is our positive claim. Well, conveniently enough, this has been done numerous ways, and we can get into plenty of them. But radio waves can be sent over 10,000 miles with no Earth curvature obstruction whatsoever. Um, how is this possible? Of course, it's propagating over a horizontal plane, 10,000 miles, no Earth curvature obstructing it whatsoever. Seconds have been used to successfully navigate for hundreds of years and require the Earth be a horizontal plane as you take an elevation angle to a celestial object and then it comes down to the plane to have your corner pocket. An elevation angle is to a horizontal. You cannot in any way use a sextant successfully without the Earth being a horizontal plane and it's worked for hundreds of years or hundreds and hundreds of miles. Next, the horizon has been seen over 10 times the geometric limitations of the globe. This falsifies the globe claim again. There is no need for replacement of this model. It has been falsified. The entire globe model depends on the accuracy of this claimed radius value. Everything. So this radius value has been falsified. So welcome to flat Earth. This is not real, and it's okay. You made the positive claim that this is real. We have falsified that positive claim by falsifying the radius, and you have the burden of proof to substantiate your claims. We must not come up with some fairy tale to replace it. So that is where it all begins, to be intellectually honest about the conversation and where we are. And cool, glad to, excited about having the discussion. You got it. Thank you very much, Austin, for that opening statement. And with that, do want to let you know, folks, just a couple of channel announcements as we are absolutely pumped. In particular, got to let you know, on the bottom right of your screen, as an example, my dear friends, for the first time ever, Modern Day Debate is hosting our first conference, DebateCon, in one month, January 15th through 16th in Dallas, Texas, you do not want to miss it, as some of the debates will only be live for those that are actually in person, by the way. And so you have a good reason to grab a ticket. And we have also made it so that the tickets are still at early bird pricing, so that in case you haven't heard about that, that's still available. If you haven't jumped on it, you can jump on it right now. It's only two weeks away, you guys. It's coming fast. And we are pumped, as there are going to be a lot of juicy debates that we'll kick it into the open conversation mode do want to let you know your screen share is still on austin and want to let you know in the meantime if you haven't yet hit that subscribe button as like i said we have many juicy debates coming up that you don't want to miss folks thanks so much the floor is all yours leo and austin so do you have any contention with my opening statement, do you agree that uh, making the positive claim that the Earth is a globe has the burden of proof? Yeah, that burden of proof has obviously been met. Okay, so um, you want to take it step by step. The, the first the first claim is that it's a sphere mm -hmm. with a radius of three. Yes. Yeah, oblate spheroid with three with a radius of three thousand nine hundred and fifty nine miles. Would you like to uh, enlighten us how that was established and proven? Uh, I don't know. I'm not a geologist. I don't know how they measure that. 
Okay. I would assume probably using trigonometric methods by measuring an aspect of the Earth and then utilizing mathematics to extrapolate that to the entire sphere, which could be done. I'm also not a, uh, what is it, geometrician, I think they're called, so I couldn't tell you how to do that either. Okay. Well, you did just say that you know it's been proven, and so what you've immediately admitted is that you actually do not know that it's been proven because you're not even aware but, of the I, I do, though. The so, fact so, that I don't know the mathematical methods through which it was proved doesn't mean that those methods haven't been used to prove it. Well, how can you know something if you don't know it? I don't know what that means. Well, how can you claim to know something as a fact if you don't even know what it is you're claiming as fact? I do know what it is I'm claiming as fact, that, that, that the Earth is a sphere. How was the radius verified? I don't know. If you okay, wanted well, to know that, my question would be, why haven't you asked a geologist? I have debated uh, people that do it for a living. I, I, have, did you ask them that question? Yes. Did they so answer it? I'm, I'm sure they answered it. What, what was the answer that they gave? They tried to invoke geodetic surveying. Geodesic surveying? Ge geodetic. I don't think I know what geodetic is. I know what a geodesic is. I don't know what geodetic means, though. Okay. Okay. So uh, we physically measured the surface of the Earth and falsified the, the claimed radius. So unless you can How provide so? evidence, uh, it doesn't curve at the rate it would have to if it's a sphere. How do you know that? For example, I showed you the, the observation of the black swan, right? So if the Earth has what? a sphere of a radius of 3,959 miles, then that means that the Earth's geometric horizon or curvature should be no further than 1.225 times the square root of the observer's height in feet. Just basic geometry, right? And you can Google it. This is on Earth Curve Calculator. This is not flat Earth math. This is testing the globe, globe claim, right? And so that means that one foot off the Earth, you should see the curvature of the Earth at 1.2 miles. Yeah, we have an observation one foot off the surface of the Earth and the horizon's over 10 miles. That would require the radius be over a quarter million miles, but they claimed it's under 4,000. So we have a problem here. Yeah, I don't really know anything about that. Um, I see, I just Googled it in like 10 seconds. I found out how we know what the, the both the circumference and the radius and the diameter of the Earth is. Um, and it's exactly what I said. You use trigonometric methods to measure curvature over a particular area of the Earth. You could say maybe even over 100 miles. And then you can use that to calculate what the, the whole what the whole diameter of that, that circle would be. If you have part of the circle and you know the angle at which it's curving, then you can piece, essentially piece together what the size of the entire circle would, would be. So you're saying if you know the angle at which it's curving, you can determine the radius value, but the way that you know that curvature rate is the radius value. So that would be- a I don't know what that means. We, we, we know it by looking at differences in the angle of the sun. I mean, this was calculated thousands of years ago because this kind of math has been around for thousands of years. Humans have been doing this for thousands of years. This, this we are not at, at rock, in rocket appliances right now. That's not, this is very, very simple stuff. But I would pump the brakes on all the arrogance, right? Because uh, you just admitted to the whole audience you didn't know the What method. do you mean by arrogance? I'm just stating things that are true. Like, we've known this for thousands of years. These methods humans have been using for thousands of years. Okay, so you're talking about Aristosthenes? Aristosthenes? Yeah, that's who you're talking yes, about. Yes, I believe he was the first one that calculated it. If, I okay, if my memory serves me correctly. Yeah, yeah. there's no primary documentation of that ever happening, even if we pretend that we know it did happen. So it's just we... an argument from silence, which is fallacious. It, it, that's why you had to interrupt me, right? 
Well, no, but that's what you're presenting. That just no, 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 no. What I'm saying is you're making a positive claim. This dude measured the circumference of a globe over 2,000 years ago. I'm proving that you can't prove that at all because there's no primary documentation of that ever happening. You don't know that. In addition, we'll pretend yeah, this it is did. an argument from silence. This no, is we'll just a fallacy. No, you're you're saying that as if I'm just supposed to. Do you know what an argument from silence is? Yeah, you're you're saying I'm supposed to just believe that it's a real story. I didn't say that. I didn't say you're supposed to do anything. All I okay, did was so say that what you're doing right now is committing an argument from silence. Okay, can you provide evidence for your positive claim that Aristophanes did this? The fact that there are thousands-year-old documents of it having been done. No, now, if you not. want to dispute that whether the person who actually ultimately is the actual human that did it, whether his name is Aristophanes, is irrelevant. The math checks out. Do you have an argument against the math? Yeah, sure. I was trying to get there, right? So my preface was that actually there's no primary documentation, but we'll just assume it is real anyway. But you had to you had to interrupt me. So if we assume it's real, do you know that he had to assume the sun was distant with parallel rays? Well, of, of course it's distant with parallel rays. That's how light works. Light works that the sun is distant. So that's the only way light could work. No, light moves in straight lines. Okay, so is there anything such thing as divergent rays? Is that a real thing? Divergent rays, um, yeah, there are ways to do that, yeah. Okay, so that's not how light works. Um, the electromagnetic radiation, yes, it propagates in in it propagates ortho ortho normally, I believe, if it's not interacting with a form of medium. Yes, uh, it it actually propagates in a transverse movement. Way or do you not know what ortho normal means? Ortho normal, no, you enlighten me. Ortho normal. One okay. oscillates this way, one oscillates this way. They're orthogonal or at 90 yeah. degrees to one another okay. and normalized okay. of unit length. Okay. So they're normal, ortho, yeah. normal. Is it transverse? Yes or no? Oh, Lord have mercy. See, you don't, okay. So the propagation so the of concept of ortho normality would subsume the concept of transverse. Right. Okay. So can you provide evidence that the sun is 93 million miles away or is it just a claim? Uh, we can measure that. Okay, so did he measure the sun was 93 million miles away? Actually, I do not know that. I have no idea whether, you know whether he, actually, he measured the distance to the sun or not. Right, Let's well, he needed out. that assumption to deduce the calculations. And did you know he, he didn't even claim it was anywhere close to 93 million? He claimed something more like 3 million. Did you know that? Um, I, don't, I don't know if anything that you're saying is true or false because I, I haven't read anything about what Aristophanes did in terms of calculating distances from the Earth to the sun. Well, this, is, this is your claim, though. You claimed he proved the Earth was a, a sphere with a circumference value. It's your claim. I claimed that he used simple mathematics to determine what the circumference of the Earth is, yes. Assuming and we, we, know, we, know that, we know that he did that, yes. It works the same if the sun's local on a flat surface. He assumed a distant sun with parallel rays and assumed a spherical surface. I, oh, yeah, but those are facts, which is why he assumed them. Okay. The sun so, is you, distant and the electromagnetic radiation propagates orthonormally unless it's interacting with a medium. So your, your proof of the Earth's measurement is that he assumed the Earth is a sphere and you can use that assumption to prove well, no. that the Earth's a sphere. If the Earth weren't a sphere, unless you're you're arguing that there is geometric curvature to it, even though it's it's not like a sphere, then then fine. Uh, but that wouldn't be flat. There there is there is geometric curvature on the Earth. Okay, that he the he claim. figured that out just from walking from two two cities. Yeah, that that was the claim. Well, actually, that that's not the claim. That that was the observation. He was he determined that there obviously there is curvature on the surface of the earth because these things that we see in reality happening.
but did you know that if the surface was flat and the sun was more local, you would get the same results? How so? Because the divergent rays would create shadows relative to the angle of the local what light. What do you mean by divergent rays? They, they converge to the point of light, the source of light, which is the sun. So this, isn't that how all lights work? Okay. So, well, you just a second ago, they're all parallel. So anyway. Yeah, they, they travel at straight lines outward from, from the source in all directions. Yeah, like that's well, kind of how field mechanics works. Well, the globe Earth kind of doesn't claim that any of the sun's rays on Earth is divergent. They claim they're parallel. I don't know. I don't know what you mean. They're parallel in terms of the, the, them coming from the sun. The light just moves in straight lines through space. Right. Yeah. Right. So if the and it's divergent work, in the sense that all those straight lines would diverge back onto the sun, the, the point of, of origin. But the, the globe Earth model, from. the globe Earth model has just a small portion of the light of the sun hitting the Earth, and they're all parallel. If the Earth is smaller or if the sun's more local, then it has divergent rays locally on the Earth. It's a fundamental. I, I, I have no idea what, what you're talking about. Okay. So, <laughs> so you have no, first of all, that wasn't even claimed. I, 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 optics isn't, isn't this hard. Actually, optics is a pretty difficult field. It's boring, too. Do you agree or disagree that if the Earth was flat and the sun was local, you'd get the same results? If, if you had like a sort of a flat disk Earth and a little ball up here with light, with the light, the light would just be covering the whole surface so you wouldn't have nighttime. So no, I don't think that would work. Okay. Well, that's called a straw man fallacy. My man, no, wait, tried, yeah, yes, it is. What's so, a straw man? Yeah, you just straw man a, a model of the Earth saying that if the Earth's a disk with a ball above it, then it'd cover up the whole disk. That is just an unfounded claim that no one on this side has ever made. There's something called Except the attenuation all of, you. of light. There's something called the attenuation of light. Sure. So why would the light go forever if it's a small local light source with attenuation? Uh, what do you mean? Why would the light go forever? You just claim to cover the whole Earth. Why would it cover the whole Earth if it's a small local light source with attenuation? Because attenuation happens when uh, electromagnetic radiation interacts with matter. So Correct. You, you, you wouldn't expect that to happen until it struck the Earth. Wait, is there not matter in the atmosphere? Not very much, no. Oh, so there's not an absorption rate of air when it comes to light? There's not an absorption rate of oh, light? Oh, very small, a very small one. It's more, I think, of a refractive index, but... Okay, so there's an attenuation rate in the air. A very, okay. very small one, yes. Okay, so it's a small local light source. It wouldn't cover the whole Earth. Can we get back to stop trying to pretend you know how to falsify the flat Earth? Can you prove the globe Earth radius value? That's what we're trying to get to here. I, I already have. We've mathematically calculated it. We, we measured that there was curvature on the surface and used the amount of curvature measured over the, the length and extrapolated that to an entire sphere and got uh, an accurate measurement. We've confirmed it today. So Right. He was over 15% off. Aristophanes didn't <clears throat> The radius value and the person that did it for your model, his name is actually Al Baruni. So I don't really care who it. did it. Um, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't re just be in a genetic fallacy. You're, you're trying to appeal to the source as a means of falsifying the information when no, the source of the information isn't really relevant here. It's no, I'm not. I'm, a, I'm, appealing, I'm, a, I'm, I'm appealing to the fallacious methodology they used. You are ignorant of the what, method. What, what fallacious methodology? Yeah, and the funny thing is, is you haven't been able to explain them to me, so I don't think you know much about them either. Yes. I, I I never claimed to know everything, and I don't. I don't actually know how we've even today measured the circumference and the radius of the Earth. I really don't. I've never asked, but I'm sure if I Googled it, how can we measure the circumference of the Earth? I'd get 
perfectly fine answers that make sense and have a lot of valid mathematics to back them up. I mean, I, I'm sure that anybody, if they really wanted to know these things, could just Google them or call a university and ask a professional. My question okay, would be, but, why haven't you done that? Well, hey, uh, isn't it pretty ignorant to claim you know the answer to a subject or question if you're completely ignorant of all the details of that I subject? I didn't say I was completely ignorant of all the details. I said there are some things that I do not know. That the Earth is round is one of the things I do know. You, well, you've proven you don't even know how they claim they proved that. Well, uh, through part certain methods, in terms of calculating precisely the circumference and the diameter, I don't know that. That doesn't mean I don't. There aren't other ways to know that the Earth is a sphere or spheroidal. Okay, but did you do, maybe we should do this, right? You realize that um, the entire model depends on that radius value being accurate. If that, what, what do you mean? We could change that value. The Earth can be larger or smaller. It could be more spheroidal or less spheroidal. The, the point is that it's a sphere. No, it can't. It objectively cannot be. So you're saying small. that if 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 it couldn't, but it can because there are planets that are. <laughs> okay, so you don't understand it. So, say the Earth has a certain size. That's how we've come up with everything else in the model, like relative distances and sizes of the other bodies in the solar system, cosmological what? distances. If you don't understand this, it doesn't make it not true. It, in order, in I, order, I to definitely have, understand this. I study astronomy. Okay, so to have orbital trajectories dependent upon the mass, which is dependent upon the size of the dimension, which displaces a certain amount of mass in the curvature of space-time, so the radius of the Earth is directly related to your entire claim, no, as is day and night cycle. It is no, actually, no. Our day and night cycle would be related to the rate of rotation of the Earth about its axis. And the way you come up with the rate of rotation is how much it needs to spin within a certain period of time based on its size. No, you can make the Earth larger, and it could still spin and have a 24-hour day cycle, day-night cycle. If the Earth was larger, would it have to spin faster to maintain the say day cycle? Um, I would assume so. Conservation of momentum is kind of a thing that um that exists yeah. in reality. Yeah, yeah. So everything depends on that radius value being correct because no. the the thousand. Well, do you think that the Earth couldn't exist if those numbers weren't exactly what they are? What a straw man that I do. I think the Earth. No, that was a question, not a straw man. I was asking you a question. Do I think the Earth couldn't exist? Yeah, if if the, if the if the Earth was larger, do you do you, you think that would just somehow it just could, it couldn't be it couldn't exist? The Earth can only ever be one size if it's a sphere. That seems to be what what you're saying. Yeah, because we know distances to different locations on the Earth, right? And so if mm -hmm. that radius value changes, those known distances are well. Of course, they would change. The planet would be larger. Why would we not expect that? But we know the distances, though. Yes, because the planet is the size that it is. So if it was falsified, then it could not be a sphere. Well, no, it would just mean that it's either larger or smaller than what it is. And that all the distances to known locations are wrong. Well, well, sure, because the Earth is either larger or smaller than what we thought it was. It's still a sphere. Well, that can't work because they're verified distances. Yes, they are, because the Earth isn't larger or smaller than what we've measured, because we've measured how large the Earth is. Okay, we'll let the audience decipher that uh, double speak. So... It, another thing that the radius value is connected to is to ever go to space, you have to obtain escape velocity, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have you have to have a certain orbit. So you have a radius of orbit that's dependent upon the radius of the Earth. Any any story about going to space? 
depends on that radius value. So if the radius value is wrong, the entire model is wrong. This is just objective. I don't know what you mean when you say that. You keep essentially making this argument that, well, if the Earth were any larger or any smaller, all of the values about distances on the Earth and the amount of velocity needed to escape Earth's gravitational field and the radius at which something can be in a free orbit around Earth would all change and your model would fall apart. No, it wouldn't. It just means that the Earth would either be larger or smaller than what it is. It doesn't matter that the Earth is the size that it is. We measure it's, that it's the size that it is because it is that size. But the idea that if it were larger or smaller, if those values were different, all of a sudden uh, we, we, we can't explain anything. No, that's not how this works. I'm sorry. This is just not yeah. how this works at all. You don't get it. So how far away do they say the sun is, for example? The sun is somewhere between, well, it depends, 93 million miles approximately or 150 that's million kilometers for the normal yeah. people in the chat. Right. So that's based on the mass of the sun, and then it has a distance to the supposed mass of the Earth, and that's how it's attaining gravitational orbit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so if the mass of the Earth changed, would the rest of the model have to change as well? What do you mean by the rest of the model? No, general it, relativity it, would still work just, just fine. If you changed nothing, so the velocity of the Earth stayed the same, all you did was increase its mass, There, well, that would be a hard thing to do in, to begin with because you have conservation of momentum, conservation laws. But likely the Earth would, if it would grew larger, more massive, yet somehow retained the same, the same orbital velocity, it would probably start to fall inward toward the sun. Okay, so if the size of the Earth is wrong, the size of the Moon is wrong, the size of the Sun is wrong, the size of the What do you mean by wrong? Planets, you mean if we calculated it wrong? They would also have to change, yeah. I not, not probably not. I mean, if 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 we calculated the 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 Earth of the mass the mass of the Earth wrong, that wouldn't really change much in terms of what we know about the Sun because, I mean, do you realize how small the mass of the Earth is compared to that of the Sun? Well, we're talking about changing that number and relationship, aren't we? Yeah. Do you know it would be like changing our understanding of the sun by like one one hundred millionths of a percent? Like it's going to it's it's completely negligible in the ma in the math. Well, that's crazy. So, I mean, yeah. If we found that the mass of the Earth, oh, it's fifteen percent more than we thought, that's not really going to change much else about our model. Uh, what about a thousand times? I would need to see some serious um, justification for the idea that we would be off by that much in calculating the mass of the Earth. A thousand percent? I, I, I seriously doubt our ability to calculate that the mass of the Earth is that skewed. Yeah, well, we have an observation where the radius value would have to be 264,000 miles. So I don't know what you mean. Well, they claim the radius is under 4,000 miles. I've said something that's objective. You've disputed it, but I don't want to keep going in circles. If the radius value is wrong, the entire mile is wrong. I the still don't know levels, what that means. The highest levels of academia on your side would agree with that. It's no, just they objective. wouldn't. Okay. So, they would say that that if if somehow the size of the Earth, if you change the values of the parameters of the Earth, its radius, diameter, circumference, its mass, its density, there are things that would change. You could potentially make it so that life wouldn't have been possible on this planet. But nothing about how we understand, in of what we understand, rather, in terms of the way reality works, you know, relativity, thermodynamics, classical mechanics, quantum mechanics, none of that's going to change. And it's through those methods that we know that the Earth is spheroidal. So the methods that we've used to determine the size of the Earth are not going to be changed if the size of the Earth were somehow changed. Okay, so objectively, man, I'm not going to keep arguing it. If the size of the Earth is wrong, the entire model is intrinsically wrong. It's all dependent upon the How mass so? of the Earth. How so? 
day and night cycle, gravity, or what about we, yeah, but like I said, those, those are all parameters that 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 depend on, on the earth, what the right. size of the earth is. We could right. go to anything, the size of the mass of the sun matters too. If we change the mass of the sun, we'd get the same things, things would start looking a little different. That does they not mean that, that gravity somehow works differently. That does not mean that our physics does not work and doesn't give us accurate descriptions of reality. What you're talking about isn't that the, 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 the math doesn't work anymore. You're just talking about changing the parameters within it. Yeah, that's going to change how the system evolves through time. But the fact that the system will evolve through a set of laws that we can determine that are based in symmetries and conservation principles, all that stuff, that's all going to be the same. Changing the parameters is not doesn't really mean anything for the physics of how we describe how systems evolve. Okay, so you don't know how they supposedly measured the size of the Earth, and it's Alberuni looking at the horizon. It fluctuated. He reverse engineered a radius value. We have falsified that with physical measurements of the surface. It would require the radius be over a quarter million so, miles. If the what radius kind of measurements wrong, did you do? Real fast. If the if the model is or if the radius value is wrong, the entire model must be trashed because it's dependent upon that R value. This is just objective heliocentric perspective. So, um, if you want to, R value. What? Um, the radius value. Yeah. An R value doesn't have anything to do with radius. The term R value has to do with in like ins insulation and thermodynamics and stuff like that. I think it's a measure of the thermal resistance. I, I, I think it's like over, over the area of, of a thing, the thermal resistance of, of the area, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't have anything to do with, with, with radius. Okay. So if, um, if the earth has that radius and we're supposed to see the curvature of the earth at 1.2 miles away from one foot off the ground, how do we see the horizon over 10 miles away from one foot off the ground? What? Can you repeat the question, please? Yeah. So if the Earth's a sphere with a radius of 3959, it curves at a certain rate. That means you can see the curvature of the Earth at a certain distance away from you based on how high above the sphere you are because it's curving away from you. So if I'm one foot off the globe Earth, I should see the curvature of the Earth block my view at 1.225 times the square root of the observer's height and feet. Simply, the square root of one is one, one times 1.2 is 1.2. One foot off this magic globe earth, I'm so crazy for not believing in, the horizon should be at 1.2 miles. But yet we saw the horizon over 10 miles away. This is impossible geometrically. Yeah, I would just have to crunch the numbers on that, which I'm not gonna do right now because I don't okay. think it really matters. I mean, a lot of a lot of the stuff really ultimately that you're bringing up just doesn't matter. There are ways that we know that the Earth is round that don't even that don't require us to actually do any measuring of the Earth. There are complete other physical theories we can appeal to that, that tell us that not just the Earth, but that all sufficiently massive bodies will will be spheroidal. So you agree then that there are no physical measurements of Earth curvature that exist. Uh, no, I don't agree with that. Do you, do you know of one? Um, a, a way to measure the curvature of the Earth? Yeah. Um, walk from one place to another. Walk from, you know, a, Tampa, Florida, all the way up to Boston, Massachusetts, and measure the difference in the position of the sun at the same time of day. Okay. So. And you um, will notice. You will notice it will change. Yeah. You'll be able to use that to determine the 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 angle of curvature of the distance between Tampa and Boston. 
And then so, from that, you could essentially extrapolate all the other pieces and get the full circle and be like, oh, so yeah, the object that I'm standing on is a sphere and its circumference would be this amount. And then from that, I can determine what the radius and what the diameter would be as well. Right. But so you have to assume the Earth's a sphere. So how no, can you don't you 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 would the thing the, the thing there is what you're observing when you make that walk is that you're walking on a curve. That's not an assumption you go in starting with. It's something that you get out of doing it. That's a result of what you're doing. It no. accounts for why you see the world the way that you do. So on your model or lack thereof, you would have to account for why we, we can experience a curvature to the Earth's surface when there really isn't any. We literally don't experience a curvature to the Earth's surface at all, ever in the entire... Why does the position of, of the sun change when you, um, when you move? Uh, holy shit, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's... Lat, lon, lon, longitude, I think, is this way. Look, guys, I'm not a surveyor. I'm not a geologist. I don't. I do physics. Okay, I don't. I don't know this stuff. I think. I think this is longitudinal. Correct me if I'm wrong. But when you move longitudinally, if I'm correct on the Earth, the position of the sun changes. The position of the stars change as well. Okay. Yeah. That and th their change is proportionate to a, 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 a definite curvature that we can measure on the surface that we're walking. Why? Okay, because uh, that would happen on a flat Earth, and oh. they—I'm trying to explain it, but you really have impulse control issues. So uh, when they looked at the sky, they reverse engineered the cyclical nature of it to apply it to a spherical assumption. What does that mean? So reverse engineer the cyclical nature of the sky. I don't. Yeah. So okay, let's take it word by word then. Um, the sky has a cyclical nature. What does that mean? It has a cycle. What so, uh, what do you mean by cycle? I'm I'm just I'm a really struggling. Cycle. The, the the stars have a reoccurring cycle. You mean like they 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 move in a circle in a cycle? Yeah, that you you know that's because the Earth is rotating, right? That that's you why we that. see the sky spin like this because we're on the Earth, which is rotating. That's what you believe, yeah, because you <laughs> have been indoctrinated. So anyway, um, is the whole universe uh, rotating around the Earth? Is is that what's going on? Or are you gonna go Robertson Genis on me? The sky moves over top of the Earth. Yeah, I don't. How? What, what well, does that even what we mean? Observe. Isn't that what no, we observe? No, it's not. We we observe we observe the Earth moving. No, we don't. According to your model, <laughs> we don't observe the Earth. No, according to your model, we don't observe the Earth moving. It's all relative because the mass of the Earth is so big based on the bending and warping of the curvature of space-time. You actually don't feel it. You're in a gravity well, and everything is relative. The Earth is so big, you don't feel it spinning, and actually the sky is still relative to our position in this coordinate system of space-time. It just looks like it's moving because the Earth is rotating, but we can't feel it. That is your claim. Yeah, of course. We, we okay, can't, so just like when you're in a car going 100 miles an hour down the highway, you can't really tell that you're in a car going at 100 miles an hour down the highway. I mean, obviously, you know, the little bumps and stuff in the road, but if that road were like perfectly smooth, you, there's no bumps or dips or any, any what's, what's often referred to as a change of vector, you, you would have no idea that you were moving. This is yeah, why in an airplane at almost 700 miles an hour, you are sitting there like, oh yeah, I'm just like, I'm in, in my couch in my living room because that that's that's how that works you don't feel you don't feel movement you feel acceleration yeah and the earth is rotating which means it's accelerating and no it's not oh really no the the earth's the earth's rotation is slowing 
at a rate that is so slow that, that we, we, we are never going to be able to tell that change. It would be that's like slowing that's... down from 100 miles an hour to zero miles an hour at one mile an hour per year. If you were to be, if I understand it's a, somewhat of a contrived hypothetical, but it makes the point. If you were in that car for two years, you, you wouldn't, you, you're not going to notice the change from 100 miles an hour and 98 miles an hour over that two years. I'm sorry, but you're, you're not going to notice that the car has slowed down at all. Okay, so I know your argument, right? Um, but the reason it's not analogous with the car is you know it, but do you understand it? Far better, actually. So if okay. you're driving the car and you turn it, are you going to fill it? Yes, that's a change of vector. Oh, so it was, so if it turns, you fill it. So is the Earth yeah. turning? Is the Earth rotating? Yes. Okay, so it's intrinsically changing direction then. Changing direct. What do you mean? Uh, if something's rotating, it's constantly like, a, ro a rotation. Yeah, that angular momentum. Yeah, but not 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 linear momentum. Must be angular momentum. Oh, and so we just yeah we just wouldn't fill it. So your I already said your well your, not no not not on something that that's that's as large as the Earth is. Why I said your, yeah you I said that already. That. I said, yeah. Okay, so so if I mean if you said it, then obviously you understand this. What I, then I don't know what your contention is. Obviously you understand that the Earth is a very large very object, and because it's so large, and we're not, we're, and where our entire existence has been confined to the planet in the atmosphere that is also rotating at the same speed as a result of friction with the Earth's rotation and everything. We're not going to be able to feel that it's that it's rotating. That's so yeah. Okay. I mean if you understand that, I'm. What is it about that that you're contending with if you seem to understand do you, do you it so think, well? Do you think the fact that you wouldn't theoretically fill it proves that it's spinning? Well, no, of course okay. not. Okay, so what's the proof it's spinning then? The proof that it's spinning would be, um, well, the fact that we have actually measured the angular momentum of the Earth. We do have instruments sensitive enough to do it. Uh, and there's actually an instrument that's not just sensitive to, enough to, to measure the, ro the, the angular momentum of the Earth as it rotates, but can, can measure a change in, that, in that, that momentum, that force going along the surface of the Earth longitudinally. I believe it's Foucault's pendulum is, is the okay. device that we can use. Also, we see that the sky is, is spinning in the same direction we would expect the Earth to be spinning if it were. And yeah, these what? tell us that the Earth is spinning. So we saw the sky spinning, and so if we theorize that the Earth was a globe spinning and it made the sky look like it spin, it only had one direction it could be spinning because that's based on what the sky is doing. It's what? not. It's, it doesn't match the rotation that we expect the Earth to be. That's not what happened. You, it has to be spinning. Are you saying that if the Earth weren't, if if the Earth were rotating, we wouldn't expect to see a, a rotation in objects in the sky? I didn't say that. No. Well, that that's the statement that I that, that that I made. If if the Earth were rotating, we would expect to observe a a rotation in the sky, given that we're on the Earth. Okay. And and and, and we we do see that. Yeah. Which okay. Means so that, that that serves as evidence that that uh, accounts. So the the idea that the Earth is 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 at least rotating, regardless of whether it, what its shape is, accounts for why we see the world this way. Right. So that's if the stars in the sky are still right. So what we actually are not still right. You're right, because I time lapse them all the time. They're constantly moving in perfect mm -hmm. circles. Yeah. Well, not so so here's the question. If the Earth was stationary and the sky was moving, would we observe the same thing? If assuming it's moving in just the right ways, yes.
yeah, east to west, like it does. Well, I mean, even even beyond that. No, everything else works perfectly. Well, assuming that it moves, I mean, if 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 everything was the sky was moving, but it was moving like across us, like this, then we wouldn't expect to see a a rotation. So no, we would only expect to see that if if the, if the Earth was stationary, the sky would have to be rotating. But the sky isn't like an object that can move like that. So that's another reason why we we know that that's not the answer because like the sky isn't a thing that can rotate. Okay, the stars in the sky rotate, bud. Um, around the Sagittarius A star, yes, not a not around the surprisingly enough, what would be the the center of the axis of of the Earth because it looks like the sky is rotating around that, which is also something which comports with the idea that the Earth is not just rotating but is a sphere and is rotating about an axis. Okay, so, yeah, they all revolve around Polaris. Uh, we don't actually feel the movement. Your argument is that it's so big you wouldn't feel it. Cool. Still, objectively, we don't feel it, though. That's objective. Sure. And then we see sure. the stars move. You claim that it looks like they're moving in a circle, but they're actually sitting still. It's just because Well, the stars aren't sitting still, no. Yeah, relative to our reference frame. Well, yeah, well, uh, sure, but at that point, I mean, there, there is no – wait, what do you think motion is? You do realize there's no such thing as absolute motion, correct? Why are you diverting? No, you're the one that wanted to divert because you said relevant relative to our reference frame. Well, of course. Yeah, because you just said that they weren't the still, and I I, I rebutted. Yeah, they're, they're, the stars stars the stars are moving. Yes. Oh, the stars are moving in. Yes, yeah, they are. The, the whole you do realize the Milky Way galaxy is rotating, correct? Cool. Yeah. The yeah. So moves. obviously the stars and our solar system, which is around a star would okay. be moving with all the other stars. We do not exist for long enough to really see that. I mean, for Christ's sakes, it takes the Milky Way galaxy 225 million years to do that's, one rotation. That's all, so. that's all pseudoscience, fairy tales. Maybe. I don't know so, what you mean by pseudoscience. Um, these, 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 are things, these are things we've measured quite well. In fact, we've measured the rotation of not just our own galaxy, but many other galaxies so well that we realize that the amount of baryonic mass that is present in the galaxies isn't enough to account for why they're held together, despite the fact that they're rotating so quickly, which is why we have a thing like dark matter. There has to be yeah. some extra mass to create the gravitation to hold the galaxies together because they're rotating too quickly to do it on their own with just the mass that we can see so Are yeah we, we do know we, we do now? know that that galaxies rotate well all Are of this stuff is obviously tangentially related and it all comes back to, to proving my point that the methodologies that i rely on and that everybody else in the same world here relies on obviously work and those methods tell us that the earth is a spheroidal ball that is rotating about an axis and orbits a star Okay. No, it doesn't actually. All practical use uh, assumes the Earth's a flat stationary plane, like flying a plane, military documents about horizontal propagation, electromagnetic propagation for ground weapon systems. They had to assume the Earth was a dielectric stationary plane, helicopters, ballistic missiles. Relativistically, of course. Okay, so your claim is that we have to treat the Earth always like it's stationary and flat for anything to work, but it's all relative. Well, we don't have to do curving. that. We choose to do that for convention because it just makes the math easy. No, it's because people would die if you didn't do that. If you flew a plane in a spin, no, it's it would, if you had to account for spin and curvature in a plane, everyone would die. Well, no, it's just that we don't need to account for the spin and the, the spin of the rotation of the Earth. That's convenient. Well, yeah, because why, why would we need to? We're, we're spinning with it. 
<laughs> well, actually, well, actually, no. Uh, your model claims that the atmosphere doesn't move in synchronicity with the Earth. Well, not not perfectly. No, of course not. What what do you think weather is and like wind and stuff like that and tornadoes? Those are just weather patterns within the atmosphere. You, mm -hmm. your, your model, yeah. Your what you just said would require a move in synchronicity, but your model does not. Claim no, that not necessarily. It doesn't have to move in synchronicity. The atmosphere largely is spinning at the points closest to the Earth at the, roughly the same speed that the Earth is rotating in those areas. But the atmosphere, I mean, there's going to be a gradient to its movement, and there's going, there's going to be turbulence in it because you have electromagnetic radiation coming from the sun. You have a bunch of thermal and geochemical processes and geothermal processes and all these other geophysical processes occurring that are adding all this turbulence into the atmosphere. You've got humans that are doing things. You've got the, you've got, you know, the, the, the tides, all this stuff having an effect. Yeah, it's all not right. going to be like 100% synchronous moving with the Earth. Okay. It's a yeah. fluid. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, is there any scientific evidence of axial rotation um of ax ro rotation about the axis uh yeah. yeah the fact that we observe the, the the stars in the sky they they rotate and they seem to do so about an axis which is exactly what we would ex exactly what we would expect to see if we were on a, a sphere that, that was rotating about an axis and it is scientific because as anybody who knows science uh, understands the beauty of science is that we can go out and make observations about the world and then find models or form models that help account for the things that we see in the world and the idea that we are on a, a, a planet that is a sphere largely and it is rotating about an axis accounts for looking up and seeing if you've ever seen the videos you can see it looks essentially like the sky is rotating uh, yeah. we would expect to see that if we were on you know a, a, an earth that was a globe and we expect to see that if the earth is stationary and the sky moves like we see it so that's I, I, I i but see you're yeah that's correct but there are well, other reasons otherwise there right? are other reasons that we have for thinking that the sky doesn't spin because the sky isn't an object that can spin <laughs> that's just right. not what the sky is. I mean, yeah. you do realize that if you were to just like, and again, a contrived hypothetical, but it, it makes the point. If you were to just like float up, that like you're not gonna hit something. You're you're gonna continue out into the vast reaches of space. You do realize that, correct? I know that that's a fairy tale. Yeah. So I, what do you mean a fairy theory, tale? We I literally what days? Okay. Just to be sure, there's not too much interrupting. I, I just want to oh, be sure. I'm, I'm sorry. Because. <clears throat> There is a lot of, like, define this, and that's okay, but uh, it might also be, there, there's a lot of interrupting where I don't want there to be too much. So we might jump into two-minute kind of, like, modes there for uh, a little while if it doesn't slow down. Cool. Yeah, so um, as for, there's no, there's been no uh, scientific evidence offered for axial rotation. Um, measurement, which is the first one, the dimension claim, that's actually not a scientific question. That's a measurement question. But there's no physical measurement of Earth curvature. Um, he failed to provide that. He failed to provide any scientific evidence of axial rotation. Observation is not scientific evidence. That's the first step of the scientific method, your dependent variable. Science is literally the study of the cause of an effect, which is your independent variable, which must be varied and manipulated. That's what the scientific method is. If I can just go look at something and make up stories about it and then claim it's science, then science would have no value. So it, there's no scientific evidence for axial rotation that you can think of, or do we need to move on to the third one? Yeah, uh, there there are, I just wanted to say that 
so, the, the, see, you, you, you propounded this oft refuted and just not true idea that science is all about causes and effects. That's just not at all the case. There are areas uh, very well understood and very precisely measured areas of science where causality isn't even a factor. And but you can ask most physicists and they'll tell you causality is much like temperature. It's, it's like a phenomenal result of our experience of reality at the scale that we experience it. But it's not this fundamental property that's built into reality. That's just not that's not a thing. So much like temperature, causality is just a result of how we experience the reality that we exist in at the scale that we exist in. So that's just not true. You said observations aren't evidence. Literally, they are. The whole point of science is to observe things about the world, find out facts about the world. We look at the world. We see it a certain way. We see it doing things. And then what we need to do is we need to find ways to account for that. Now, I wasn't tr expecting to have to go into like a, a lecture on a philosophy of science, but largely when it comes to accounting for things in reality, being a scientific explanation, this is often construed in terms of grounding counterfactuals. Don't know if that's a term you've ever heard. And what this means is that if we want to say that X explains Y or accounts for Y, then we need to be able to establish a counterfactual such that if Y was not observed, then you wouldn't expect to see X. If you can't establish that, then in what sense does X account for Y? If you could get X in the absence of Y, then obviously X doesn't account for Y, or at least not Y exclusively. And then that results in other things, modifying models and things like that and what have you. But th this is how it works. So if we see something, we want to account for that. We need to be able to say, okay, what about the world would give us this thing that we're seeing? If we weren't seeing this, what what else would we expect to see? What were what would be other things that we expect to see? And this is why these things are these these things are explanations. Being on a sphere that is rotating about an axis explains it accounts for why we see certain features of reality the way that they are. And sure, there might be other ways that can at least prima facie account for it. And this will be my last point. But there are reasons why those aren't nearly as parsimonious as the idea that we are on a globe. Okay. Yeah, that's actually just not true. So uh, the default position based on all observable phenomena is that the Earth doesn't move. It's stationary. To do anything in the practical world successfully, you must assume it's stationary, as in fly a plane, shoot a bullet, you name it, or you would not be able to successfully implement practical use. Um, so you know, actually, we just treat the Earth as a stationary. The sky moves over top of us, all circling around Polaris, the North Pole Star over the North Pole, quote-unquote, just a geographic location you're not allowed to go to, and it continues to reset. The default position is that. Now, you're making a claim antithetical to observable phenomena, so you have the burden of proof times a million. You're making a claim antithetical to what's actually observed and can be verified. So to flip the script and pretend that if we don't blindly believe your claim antithetical to all observations, we are out of pocket is a bit off-putting, right? It doesn't really make sense. So there's uh, Einstein himself, I'll help you out, I'll throw you a bone, right? Einstein himself said, I've come to the conclusion that there is no optical experiment on the Earth that will ever prove the Earth's movement, although we know it revolves around the sun. So there is no earthly observation that can prove the Earth is spinning according to your own side. It's just philosophical, it's theoretical, and that's just that. And so, yeah, you know, unless you've got some scientific evidence, it's just sophistry. So I just, just really quickly want to recap. I, I did outline what, what is evidence, and then I explained why it's evidence and how we know that it's evidence. I didn't really hear much in the way from you in terms of responding to that. You did cite Einstein, and that, that's, that, that quotation is correct. But the thing that is often left out is um, 
what, what Einstein was speaking about there was movement of the earth through the ether. This is why he referred to an optical experiment. We're we, we are never going to be able, if the ether, the luminiferous ether is a real, and there's still people that believe in even that, and it's, uh, if, if that were a real thing, there's no experiment, there's no optical experiment we would ever be capable of doing that's going to be able to determine the earth's movement or any drag on earth or on light being emitted from earth as it moves through that ether. So that that's what Einstein was referring to. He wasn't referring to any way of detecting that the earth moves. But since you brought up Einstein, let me bring up my favorite um, piece of evidence in favor of the flat earth, and that's Einstein's field equations. I don't know if you've ever heard of those, but obviously Einstein is a source that, that we can both agree is, is reputable. Otherwise, I don't think you would have cited him, even though the quote you cited had nothing to do with the motion of the earth simpliciter, but the motion of the earth through the ether, which is also a thing that isn't real. Um, Einstein's field equations describe what essentially what gravity is. And they tell us that mass energy has an effect on space-time. And we're not, we don't really fully understand yet that because we don't want a theory of gravity. But essentially the point that I'm getting at is that when we look at Einstein's field equations, what we see is that there would be something called hydrostatic equilibrium on massive enough objects. Once an object gets massive enough, there's going to be a tension on its surface. There's going to be a tension on the object as a result of its own gravitational force, the, the field acting on the object creating the field. And that material is going to have a resistance to that, that, uh, that, that tension, and it's going to find a shape that can most reduce the tension across the, across the surface of that object. And as anybody versed in, in material science or physics knows, that's a sphere. And that is why stars and planets are spheroidal because of the hydrostatic equilibrium between the tension uh, on that object as a result of its own gravitational field and the resistance of the material, which is given like by the Pauli exclusion principle and things like that, but I'm not here to talk about quantum mechanics, that, that results from the material that is creating the field that is then putting the stress on it. And it's sort of a symbiotic relationship between those two. Cool. So it's just theoretics. Uh, 1905, you attribute a constant speed to light, which actually quantum mechanics pretty thoroughly debunks that. They no, cannot coexist. To even say the word theory of relativity and quantum mechanics in the same sentence is actually laughably ignorant. But anyway, Wait, do you um, not know what relativistic quantum mechanics is? I know that relativity can't coexist with quantum mechanics. Well, uh, general relativity has not been reconciled with quantum mechanics. Special okay. relativity has been. And just a quick point for the sake of the audience, um, the U1 gauge transformation symmetry group, which is what we uh, use in quantum mechanics, uh, to define electromagnetism electromagnetic well Okay, maybe you're not hearing me. Just to be sure that time is well distributed. We, we are going to go into the Q&A shortly. You guys have got a little bit of time yet, but just to let you guys know that. Okay, so, so yeah. yeah um, the point is just that actually that's just, it doesn't matter. That's a non sequitur anyway. So it was proposed in 1915, superseded Newtonian mechanics. It actually claims to attribute physical properties to conceptual abstractions, one of which no, is doesn't. a privation. It okay, does I do space. need you to stop talking while Witsit is talking, to be fair, because I don't want Witsit to do the same to you, okay? So space-time is conceptual, right? So space, the idea of emptiness, nothingness, a privation. Time is a quantification method that we use to quantify passing. We put it into a coordinate system, 
right, using breadth, height, width into quote unquote space to determine this effect of a gravity well and that gravity effect of the bending and warping of space time. Anyway, on its face, it's inadmissible. Uh, conceptual abstractions cannot in any way have physical properties. It's also fallen apart as early as the 50s. The galaxy rotational speeds debunked it. Also, as recently as modern times, we now have dark matter, dark energy making up 95% that is not accounted for in relativistic application, and it's off with 95% of its occupancy claim. So it's not even close to being viable mathematically yet, and none of that even matters. It's all begging the question, because on the local scale on the Earth, you never account for gravity, you never account for spinning, and you never account for Earth curvature. This is just objective, and we need scientific evidence before we believe cartoons from governmental agencies. So we need actual physical scientific evidence, bro. Am I am I good, Austin? You're good, man. Okay. Um. So a uh, few things here, and I promise this is all going to loop back <clears throat> to how how we know that the Earth is not a flat, that it's a sphere. So the first thing is, you said that that space time is this conceptual thing. Uh, it's it's not, and ultimately this gets into um a lot of philosophy of physics, which I really don't want to get into, and I don't think the audience is really interested in getting to. But if anybody would, I would just recommend looking up things like relationalism versus substantivalism when it with respect to space time, and it's the ontology of space time. In fact, this is a thing I've been reading on a lot in the past couple of days because I've been doing a lot of reading into things like structural realism and ontic structural realism and relational quantum mechanics and other areas metaphysics. So this isn't something that, that's new to me. There, there's a huge philosophical discussion being had on this, but even substantivalists, relationalists, both would, would do that. Every physicist I have ever talked to in my life would reject this idea that space-time is purely conceptual. Um, it, it was proposed not in 1905, but in 1915, at least general relativity was. Special relativity was published in 1905, and Sir Arthur Eddington actually observationally confirmed general relativity in 1917 when he observed two stars that were we're supposed to be behind the sun that are behind the sun but he observed them out here as a result of the what's what's ultimately a shear through the dimension of time which is how we know that time is actually a real physical fundamental dimension because it can actively be sheared by the stress of mass energy as described by einstein's field equation so um he, he measured that showing and the, the amount by which their their trajectory was off as a result of, of the curvature in space-time was um, precisely what general relativity had predicted. General relativity has never once failed any test that it has been put to. It isn't a complete theory, but that doesn't make it a wrong theory. The reason all of this matters is because, again, I'm making a much broader argument here not just that the Earth is a sphere, but how we know that. And we know that through a set of sound methodologies that all scientists across the planet utilize, and that all of these methodologies obviously give us accurate descriptions and ways of understanding reality, because if they didn't, none of our technology, the very technology we're using to have this debate, this discussion right now, would work. And so if we can trust them in other areas, why wouldn't we trust them here? All of this science shows that the Earth is a sphere, that it rotates and it orbits the sun. Yeah. So uh, you, you you cannot provide any substantive specificity of empirical evidence. You just keep making claims appealing to technology. A, an accelerometer must prove that the Earth is a globe and that gravity bends and warps and physical properties can be attributed to concepts because I have an accelerometer in my cell phone. Uh, the electrical grid uses nothing to do with the Earth being a globe. None of our technology does. You can't fly a plane, can't drive a car, assuming that the Earth is a spinning globe. None of that is real. It's just this vague claim, void of specificity, so you can basically appeal to majority or consensus, appeal to authority 
and credentials. And this is insufficient and uh, in no way admissible in intellectual form. We need empirical evidence. There is no empirical evidence of earth curvature, no physical measurements of it, only physical measurements falsifying it. You admitted that you didn't know the radius, didn't know the curvature rate, didn't know where it should be seen, and you didn't know how it was supposedly measured. You then said that if the radius was falsified, it wouldn't debunk the globe. Well, every single person with any knowledge or competence on your side at all would tell you that you're patently wrong. Then I asked for scientific evidence for axial rotation, yet to get any whatsoever. There is none. Just pointing at the sky and saying, I think that's what it is. Believe my story. And this is how you can apply my story. It's called a begging the question fallacy. It cannot be invoked to prove the very thing you are claiming to prove. That is a very fundamental, rudimentary fallacy. So there are the two primary things. Of course, the third one being you can't have a pressurized system adjacent to a near-perfect vacuum of 10 to the negative 17 tour, the second law of thermodynamics would not allow that. So there's your three core claims and they cannot exist. They've been debunked. I guess I, I don't understand what this three core claims thing is. The, the, the only thing that, that's being claimed is that the earth is a sphere, that it rotates about its axis, it also wobbles about its axis or precesses about its axis, and that it orbits a star, all of which can be confirmed just by higher order mathematical theories that have been confirmed at literally every point we've ever tried to test them. Um, not only that, but we could, I mean... I know flat earthers don't like don't like it when people say this, but that's because it's the easiest way to show that their that their worldview is wrong and they don't have any objection other than just blatant conspiracies. But we've gone into space. It was five days ago that we put the James Webb Space Telescope and we that we watch it go up into space. It didn't hit anything. Where did it go? Did 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 did, uh, did God like swallow it up or something? Did, like what what ha what happened to it? How does a flat earther account for literally watching a thing go up into space? Yeah. So I've actually, I actually document the rocket launches personally. I know you probably never have done it. I document them with the highest power commercially available zoom that there has. I actually debate the uh, NASA employees on scene. So I, I find it quite rich that you think that you can bring up the fact they shoot rockets in Cape Canaveral, which I'm about an hour away from and constantly document it as if that's some proof of going to a medium that defies the second law of thermodynamics. So to appeal to the Authority of the government means nothing to me. NASA was founded admittedly with NASA or with Nazis, Werner von Braun, Operation Paperclip, declassified. They've lied about all kinds of things, including quote unquote global warming temperature recordings all the way back to the 50s were doctored. It's one of the most corrupt establishments that there is. And so I don't actually have to blindly believe stories about NASA sending stuff into a vacuum that can't exist. But what you will find out or what's becoming abundantly clear is you cannot respond with specificity. You cannot have a vacuum next to a pressurized system. This violates the second law of thermodynamics. Claiming they went to, to Narnia doesn't make Narnia real. Can you tell me what the second law of thermodynamics states? Yeah, entropy, entropy will increase. In this sense, entropy what will increase. What is entropy? Yeah. Entropy will increase as in it will seek equilibrium spontaneously. What is entropy? What, which part of my definition do you not? Uh, well, no, you, you're using the word entropy. You're saying yeah. entropy will increase. What yeah, entropy is entropy? It, effectively, the pursuit of equilibrium. I don't know what that means. So the second law of thermodynamics essentially states that if you contain energy, if you localize energy into one system or one state, it's intrinsically going to leak into the others. It's really the simplest way to put it, primarily because thermodynamics isn't really a simple field. Um, nothing about space-time violates thermodynamics. It operates with thermodynamics perfectly fine. We understand the thermodynamics of vacuums actually quite well. 
Do you understand the question, right? So the second law of thermodynamics necessitates that pressure fills the available space. Systems seek spontaneous equilibrium. Entropy will increase. This is a natural law. So if you have a pressurized system adjacent to a near-perfect vacuum of 10 to the negative 17 torr, the high-pressure system will violently fill the low-pressure system seeking equilibrium. So how does that not happen? That's an antithetical. That's a, that's a claim antithetical to natural law. Well, entropy increases uh, globally, but not locally. The Earth is an open system receiving energy from the sun, so it's not currently undergoing those particular thermodynamic processes, and there's a lot of places in the universe that aren't. But um, I don't know what you mean when you say pressurized. Um, if, if Earth's atmosphere is quote-unquote pressurized, then you would be admitting that there is a force acting on the atmosphere that is containing it to the Earth, despite the fact that it slowly dissipates into a vacuum, which would be correct. That force is gravity. Slowly dissipates into a vacuum is not in any way what it would happen. There's nothing slow about gas pressure going towards a vacuum. It's uh, instantaneously seeking equilibrium. So there's nothing about dissipating gradually into a vacuum of space. You told me that basically thermodynamics isn't happening on the Earth locally. So I guess the second law of thermodynamics switch got flipped off. And now That's we can have pressure sitting next to a vacuum. So it doesn't work. And now I don't have to claim that there's a force pulling anything down there. There's a physical container that's the necessary antecedent to pressure. So one, I didn't say that thermodynamics doesn't work on the Earth. I said entropy isn't increasing on the Earth because the Earth isn't a closed. Wait, you do realize that only applies to closed and isolated systems, of which the Earth is neither. The Earth is an open system because it is receiving energy from outside of it, namely the sun. Entropy only applies in closed or isolated systems. Now, the whole universe is an isolated system, and entropy on the average globally over the whole universe is increasing. But uh, on Earth, it's not. Also... Uh, the container again is 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 gravity. The reason that there there's 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 like mass hovering around the Earth, so to speak, is because there's a gravitational field there. I mean, if if I put a bowling ball on a trampoline and then I dumped water on the trampoline, and let's just assume like that the water doesn't like leak leak through the trampoline or anything, don't you think it would all just like roll right down and sit in the well that the ball is creating in the trampoline? It's not just going to go <laughs> and fly across the sheet, even yeah, though there's, there's no water or matter on any other part of the sheet. But it's because it's curved. The, the, the water is following the, the curves. The atmosphere of the Earth is following the geodesic and space-time toward the Earth. That's why it's on the Earth. Yeah, we're talking about gas, so try to keep up. Yeah, the gas, is a, gas is matter. Okay, gas so is, gas, gas has mass. Yeah, so we're not talking about the water bending around the earth. We're talking about gas pressure I was sitting next to yeah, a vacuum. Analogy. Yeah, wait, do you know what a, vac a vacuum is, right? There's no such thing as a perfect vacuum. It's all a near perfect of vacuum. At least two hydrogen atoms per cubic meter. I know your religion very well. It's why I'm Look, not a that, telling me that there's no such thing as a perfect vacuum, a thing that I didn't even claim, doesn't answer the question of what is a vacuum. Yeah, it's nothing more than an area where you manipulate the density of the medium, and there's at least a few hydrogen atoms per cubic medium meter. Medium of what? The container. What con What do you mean container? Well, you're saying that you can have a vacuum without a vacuum chamber? Yes. Really? How so? Yeah. Uh, the vacuum of space-time. Oh, so by reifying and begging the thing in, in question. Well, no, a vacuum chamber recreates what that is. You realize that, correct? And the only way to replicate it is to have a container. Yes, because Earth has an atmosphere. You could also replicate it by just going outside of Earth's atmosphere. 
Okay, so can you provide any evidence of gas pressure without a container other than begging the very question? What do you mean by gas pressure? Do you mean the fact that there is a 14, a roughly 14, I think it's like 14, 14 and a half PSI um, pressure of the Earth's atmosphere at sea level? Is that what you're referring to? It's not just at sea level, it's everywhere. Pressure is the energy. Or well, it, it increases or decreases as you go up in elevation. That's why I That's a non sequitur. We're, we're talking about the antecedent relationship as in the requirement of pressure. It's the energy or force exerted on the walls of a container. The antecedent is the container. If you talk about the gradient, if you talk about the gradient, that is qualitative or that is quantitative, right? So you're conflating qualitative and quantitative, like delta X, right? We're asking you, how do you have X? That's gas pressure. You're invoking delta X, change in X. Changing gas pressure has nothing to do with the antecedent requirement for the gas pressure to be there, which is physical containment. So. I don't know what you mean by physical container. There's a pressure because Earth's atmosphere being mass um, feels the curvature in or in the geometry of space-time around the Earth, which is going to curve it towards the Earth. That's why I was drawing an analogy. Like If you put a bowling ball on a trampoline and assuming that water doesn't leak through the, the sheet and you dumped water on the trampoline, the water will roll down and sit in that pocket that the bowling ball makes where the bowling ball is because the sheet that you dumped it on is curved. Why do you think things fall toward the Earth? Because space-time is curved in that direction. Well, what about if it's curved in that, well, that's because of the density of the Earth. Okay, or so the density of Earth's atmosphere compared when to helium. When you say things fall to the Earth as if it's an inclusive statement, it's inaccurate. Not all things fall to the Earth. Well, I think you understood the context that I meant when I said that. I think most yeah. people did. They, obviously, I wasn't referring to helium balloons because I don't think anybody's ever seen a helium balloon fall to the Earth. So then you understand your own question's answer is very simple. Uh, you answered it for the helium balloon. It's the same answer for when something else goes down. Uh, we can get really specific. Everything's Wait, so why do stack. basketballs fall down? Like basketballs are filled with, with the air. Like they're pretty much 99% air other than this what like three millimeter, five millimeter layer of material that forms the, the outs, the, the, like the part air. of the ball that is the basketball. How come those fall? And why do they fall at the exact rate that gravity says they will? Basketballs are more dense than the air, and 9.8 meters per second yeah, but, is just agreed upon average. It doesn't happen every time for anything. But basketballs are inflated with air. They're like 99% air. Why would they not kind of like hover there or fall a little bit more slowly? I, I'm confused. Because the matter of the basketball material is more dense than the air. But why does it fall at the rate that gravity says it will? It doesn't always fall at a specific rate. Okay, so 9.8 meters per second squared is an agreed upon average. Yeah, there's an average rate of fall. Once something's more dense than the air, it goes down. It has an average rate of fall. That's a non sequitur. I, I, I don't think you understand what gravity is. I know it. That density in our atmosphere isn't why things fall. Helium balloons rise because helium as a gas is less dense than nitrogen and oxygen. Okay, so density. For helium balloons, yeah. You're talking about gases in gases. I'm talking about like objects, solid objects in gases. They're more dense than the gas. Yeah. Okay, so what happens when I drop a golf ball? Uh, if I drop a golf ball in the water, then I drop a ping pong ball in the water, what happens? If you drop a golf ball or ping pong in the water, it floats, yeah. which kind of confutes your argument. No, the golf ball sinks and the ping pong ball floats. Right. The ping pong ball is less dense than the water. The golf ball is more dense it's than actually the more water. Because the, the ping pong ball has air in it. Okay. And it does, if I had a golf ball and filled it with air, it'd probably float. 
you can fill a golf ball with air. Okay. I said so if, anyway, if I were to, yeah, probably. Yeah, no, things okay. fall because of gravity, and gravity is a, a, a pseudo force. It's nothing to do with um, with um, you know, buoyancy in Earth's atmosphere. Pseudo it does force have a thing to do with density, actually, meaning it's not actually a force. Pseudo yeah, force. Yeah, no, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 just a fairy tale. It's a force that you can th- if you can think of like a force, it acts like a force, but it's not a force. It's the effect of the bending and warping of space and time. It's mm-hmm. not the causal agent. It's not the cause out anymore. It's no longer considered the intrinsic property of matter. When you say mass attracting mass, which you have not, of course, um, it's incredibly ignorant and makes no I've sense because the intellectual framework is patently uh, different. So that's the point. You're making a claim about gravity. Can you please prove it? You're claiming gravity holds gas down next to a vacuum. But what we know about the behavior of gas, which there are numerous laws about this, right? It's just a known natural phenomena, right? Gas disperses in all directions, omnidirectional, instantaneously seeking equilibrium. So if it does that at the surface where gravity is the strongest, then how is it going to stop it from doing that next to a vacuum where gravity is weaker? You do realize that gases only disperse when there aren't forces keeping them together, correct? Uh, gases always disperse to seek equilibrium. Not if there's forces keeping them from doing that, correct? Like what? Like gravity. When does gravity stop gases from going omnidirectional dispersal? Um, in atmospheres on planets, in, in stars. Stars are plasma, which is a higher state of matter than gases. The reason they're kept together and also the reason they're spheres is because of gravity. Yeah, so why doesn't it stop the gas from going in all directions at the surface where it's the strongest then? I don't know what you mean. If I let out gas out of a container on the surface where gravity is the strongest, it will go in all directions. What do you mean let gas out of a container? You mean like a pressurized container where it's it, the gas is coming out because you pressurized the inside of it? Well, to have any pressure, yeah, you need a container. Well, no. Do you know what static pressure is? Uh, is can you give me gas pressure without a container? Yeah. Uh, please. So yeah. there, this lighter is is hovering just in in the room. There, there's nothing around it. It's not in a container. There is a, a pressure on this lighter from Earth's atmosphere. Okay. So yeah. what is that? Okay. If you remove the actual physicality of the lighter, can you keep the butane gas in it? Well, of course not. There wouldn't be okay. a lighter there. Thank you. Thank you. So in order to have pressure, it requires physical containment. Yeah. You know? No, that's not what pressure is. It's literally the definition of it. Gas pressure is defined as the energy or force exerted on the walls of a container. Um, no, it's the, the it's, uh, pressure is the continuous physical force that is exerted on something that, that is in contact. So I when I really punch my there. hand, I'm exerting pressure, pressure. on it. What what, what, what what does a container have to do with any of this? I, ju- I don't think you gas, understand what pressure is. I said gas pressure. Well, gas pressure is just pressure being applied by a gas. Okay. So I can cite NASA saying that the definition of gas pressure on NASA's own website is the energy or force exerted on the walls of a container. That's why it's called pressure, because it presses. It's for, Yes, it's the force exerted by a gas on some object. The walls of a container, yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be the walls of a container. If I, if I did set this lighter up and I blow, and actually the lighter literally did slide and fall down, I exerted a gas pressure on that because my lungs were ex- exhaling gas, which hit that lighter with a force moving it. Right, your lungs are containers, my man. Yeah, that, but yeah. containers have nothing to do with the pressure that I applied using a gas on this lighter to move it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I did. It's the only place you had the pressure built up to excel it. Yeah, but that doesn't have to do anything with me moving the lighter with it. That has to do with me getting it into my lungs. Those are not the same scenario. The, the point is the necessary antecedent to gas pressure is a physical container. No. Okay, well, uh, if you can cite a physical demonstration that can be replicated to provide evidence otherwise, it's just, Every that's star. a reason. Beg, begging the question fallacy. What question am I begging? That the Earth's a ball with a spherical atmosphere. No, it's not. The Earth can yes. be flat. It still has an atmosphere and there's still space. I, okay, no, 100%. Austin, the Earth is flat. I'm granting the Earth is flat, um, but it still has an atmosphere. And that's I'm still asking, held to the Earth because of gravity. A, a atmosphere? Yeah, gases have no intrinsic shape. But anyway, so you're, uh, the point is you're supposed to be proving how gas can sit next to a vacuum. And your proof that we've gotten all the way down to is Earth's atmosphere proves it. That's called a begging the question fallacy. Well, that so wasn't, that's all we've got. We can move on. I mean, you, that you, wasn't my argument. I said gravity is what holds Earth's atmosphere to the surface of the Earth, despite the fact that the rest of space would be a vacuum. And I asked you, why doesn't gravity prevent gas from going in all directions at the surface where it's the strongest? I don't know what you mean when you ask that. What do you mean all gas is going in all directions at the surface? Yeah, if I let go, if I let go of gas at the surface level, it will go. What do you in mean let go? Are you talking about like if I just open my hand right now? No, the, the gas is largely just going to sit there, or it's going to move as a result of the turbulence of me opening my fingers. Oh, uh, it's going to move in what direction? Whatever direction the turbulence is acting as, which is probably going to be in the directions that my fingers opened. It's going to be in all directions. No. Yes. My friend, if I were to go downstairs, grab one of our Tupperware containers, put the lid on it, bring it up here, and just open the lid, the gas in the the, the, the part bit of atmosphere gas that I put in there is only going to move because I've opened the lid, and the moving of that lid creates turbulent force. If you know what turbulent force is, that will then pull that gas out of the container. But it isn't the if 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 you could theoretically remove the lid without any of that turbulent force, there would just it would just sit in there, and I can set that that container on the top of my desk, and there will still be gas in it. So right, it's not going everywhere. We can move on. So, container of helium. Okay, put it on the ground. Take the lid off of the container of helium. What happens to the helium? The helium rises. It it, it actually disperses in all directions. Upward, yes. Also upward. Omnidirectional includes upward, yeah, yes. It, it's meaning it's going like this. Okay, so is upward the opposite of down? In a gravitational field, of course. Well, gravity has a singular vector of down relative to the center. I don't know what that means. A single vector of down relative to the center of mass on a sphere. Well, okay. up is antithetical to down, where gravity is the strongest, gas goes in all directions. Please tell me how you're going to prevent it what from do you, doing I don't, gravity. I don't know what you mean when you say that. When you say gravity go, or gas goes in all directions, gravity, okay. I, that makes, I, it just makes no sense. All right, it's getting pretty circular, man. It may exactly makes sense, so. Well, I, I don't, you're not doing a good job of explaining how. Oh, well, gas just always seeks equilibrium by dispersing omnidirectional relative to its environment. Um, that's just how it works. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. Heat goes to cold, high pressure goes to low pressure. This is a natural law. It's not debated. Yeah, but what if the whole the whole system was already largely at equilibrium and I opened the container? What happens then? How is it? How is the open system largely at equilibrium if it's sitting next to a 10 to the negative 17 torr vacuum? What do you mean? It's sitting next to a 10 to the negative 17 torr vacuum. So I'm talking about pressure. I'm talking about in terms of gas pressure. So if I were to have a Tupperware container in front of me and I close the lid, 
and I open it, you're, you're telling me that, that essentially everything in that container is going to go out and I'm just going to have a vacuum left in the Tupperware container? No, that some air will reside in the container because of the relative densities of the medium around it. Of course. Yeah. So I, mean, well, what your, I don't know what your whole point this time has been. Gas always disperses in all directions. You ch- just because, just because, just because the air will basically fill fill back in there because it's the same density as the surrounding air doesn't mean that air trapped in isn't still moving around seeking equilibrium. If you so don't air- wait, is your claim that air just sits still? Is that your claim? Uh, my claim was that if absent the turbulent forces of the opening of the lid, then 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 yes, it would. So what if I just <laughs> what 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 if I just take the, the, this cup that has nothing in it right now? How come there's not a vacuum in this cup right now? The cup is a container, is it not? It contains a gas right now, does it not? Why is the gas not dispersing out of it equally? Is the container closed? No, it's a container though. So what do you, the, the gas is leaving the container. No, it's not. So there's a yeah. vacuum inside this cup. No, I don't think not, there is. It's the same air. Do you do you actually think this is analogous to a an extreme pressure differential? Well, that that's what you're making it out to be. That I don't think you you understand right, the point understand. that I'm getting at here is that you keep saying, oh well, well the gas will disperse in all directions. No, not always. That's only if it's lower pressure than where the gas was released from. Okay, so then in the conversation we're talking about objectively the gas would disperse in all directions next to a vacuum right assuming that there is no other forces keeping the gas wherever it's located yes but that force where it's the strongest doesn't keep the gas anywhere so how is it i going don't know to do what you mean it keeps the gas on the surface of the earth is, is the gas is, is gravity stronger at the surface or next to the, uh outside of our low earth orbit uh, low, low earth orbit which one's strong at, at the surface okay so at the strongest accessible area of gravity, if I let out gas, it goes in all directions. Gravity does not magically prevent it from going somewhere or keep it there. It goes in all it directions. Does. That's where gravity's the strongest. So why doesn't it do it next to a vacuum where gravity's weaker? How could it possibly do that? Why isn't it doing that in my cup right now? You, There's you gas understand. in the cup. You keep telling me that if I have a container and I put gas in this container on the surface of the Earth, and I open the container, all the gas is going to come flying out. And it's going to equally disperse, except yeah. that it won't. Because really? Earth's atmosphere is already largely in a state we can, in an ideal scenario, consider a state of equilibrium. There, there, there isn't a lower pressure out here than there is in the cup. Okay, so if you put that cup in a vacuum and took the lid off, what happens? Well, of course, then it's a lower pressure around the cup. So when I take the oh. lid off, it, the gas is going to move. Okay, so is space... A lower pressure than the Earth's atmosphere? Of course. Okay, so then that means that it would do what? It would do the same thing, right? What do you mean? Space Space would suck Earth's atmosphere away? No. No, no, no. space doesn't suck anything. The, ga- the gas would violently fill space. No, because of gravity. Gravity prevents that from happening. So whenever gravity is on the Earth in your vacuum chamber and you put your cup in there, why doesn't gravity stop the because air? Because that's not nearly enough mass. Do you know how much mass you need to have to have the attraction of the Earth? You need as much mass as the Earth. You have the whole Earth here, and then you have the little bitty thing of gas. So how is it that you, because you're Because the now gas is surrounded by a vacuum on the Earth. Yeah, you're now conflating mass attracting mass and saying that there's more gas, so it pulls down the molecules that are individual as a collective. Is that your And the funny thing is, is that once you open that container in that vacuum chamber, you would be able to find that at the bottom of the vacuum chamber are going to be resting more gas molecules than at the top as a result of Earth's gravity. 
Gas there, there will be a gradient press. in that chamber of less dense up here and more dense down here. Now, granted, this is going to be very, very small, and we need seriously sensitive equipment to measure it, but you will be able to measure a differential. Yeah, did you know that there's an, uh, an electric charge on the Earth, and that goes up equipotential 100 volts per meter and has a downward current, and that is on the smallest scale, that electrostatic uh, occurrence is 10 to the 26 power stronger than gravity even claims to be. So what does what's, that what's, do? your, what's make... your point? Yes, the electromagnetism is significantly stronger than gravity. No. Electrostatics. Which is a part of the electromagnetism. Yeah, well, sort of. Yeah, but they're different intrinsically because electromagnetism is coherent and everything that is matter, all molecular and intermolecular bonds, attractive forces, all of them are electrostatic in nature. And that is 10 to the 26 power stronger than gravity even claims to be. Sure, yeah, so what's your point? You cannot, you cannot attribute gravity to any of the phenomena on the local scale because the known to be much stronger force of electrostatics is always present. So when you claim the reason things are going down or you're making claims about densities, none of it objectively can be gravity. Your own paradigm says it doesn't actually overtake electrostatics until you get on the planetary scale and have a big enough mass that the curvature of space and time actually overtake electrostatics. So local phenomena in no way helps gravity. I don't know what point you're getting at here. I've never denied that electromagnetism is stronger than gravity. Electrostatics, yeah. Which is like, dude, the force is called electromagnetism. No, it's not. Electrostatics yes, it is, is a force. Electrostatics, it, it, is it, electrostatics is what happens when you have static electric charges. This is defined using the modern physical theory known as classical electromagnetism. You can okay. describe purely electric phenomenon using electromagnetism because that's the name of the modern physical theory that describes all electric and magnetic phenomenon. Okay, electromagnetism is not synonymous with electrostatics. Electricity I didn't say is that. Okay, well then stop conflating. I'm saying electrostatics, the weak force electrostatics is known to be 10 to the 26 power stronger than gravity even claims to be on the smallest scale. If you cannot control that variable and isolate gravity, claiming it's real is pseudoscientific nonsense. No, but it is real. It, electromagnetism being stronger than gravity doesn't mean anything for gravity. Also, you on, you the electrostatics is not the is not the weak force. The weak nuclear force, weak interactions, is a an entirely separate force from electromagnetism. So, is electrostatics ten to the twenty six power stronger than gravity? Yes or no? The the electromagnetic interaction is roughly ten to the twenty six times stronger than the gravitational force. Or the electrostatics. I will quote Purdue University if I need to. Or what about Boston University? Does Harvard work? So it's electrostatics. And all molecular and intermolecular attractive forces are electrostatic. That means every molecule that exists, that means that all the molecules that are together, all matter, everything is electrostatic, way stronger than gravity. Gravity is a fairy tale. It has nothing to do with anything. Okay. How can we measure it? How can you and, measure and also it's it's electromagnetism and i can cite uh the Feynman lectures on physics on matter and electromagnetism i can cite uh introduction to electrodynamics fourth edition by david j griffiths i can cite classical electrodynamics by um i think that's john jackson it's one of the most popular books in electrodynamics that you're going to find in a uh, in any college or university setting the force is called electromagnetism and it is stronger than gravity yes that doesn't that, that has no bearing on, on the Earth being sphere, spherical or not. Is electrostatics and electromagnetism the same thing? 
why does it matter? Okay, because you keep conflating the two and uh, you don't understand the significance of it. You're, so. you're applying the strength value to electrostatics, which is not where that strength value is. That strength value applies to the whole force of electromagnetism. No, it's electrostatic potential, resting potential of 10 to the 26 power stronger than gravity claims to be. I just told you I can cite. I don't think you understand what that even means. Can you hash okay. that out? What was the okay. potential you just said? Yeah, it has, it has a resting electrostatic potential. What on is that? Small scale. The potential to the, the ability to cause work, to do work. No, 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 not, not, not what energy means. What, 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 when you say, you said the electrostatic potential, what is that? Uh, the potent, the electrostatic ability to do work. I, so, I don't know. All right, all right, brother. Okay. All right, brother. Um, because what, what you're referring to is called the, it's not really called the electrostatic potential. It's often just called the electric potential or the electric field potential. And it is the amount of, um, the amount of energy needed to move a unit of electric charge from some given point to some other specified point in an electric field. Okay, so here's a simple part of it, man. Everything that we, everything that exists is electric, uh, intrinsically. Everything, all intermolecular, no. molecular, all molecular and intermolecular attractive forces are electrostatic in nature. You cannot name one single exception. Please do. Um, you're speaking specifically molecular forces. Name one piece of matter that's not electrostatic. Um, uh, neutrons. Neutrons ne isn't a piece neutrons. Of Yes, they okay. are. Neutrons outside, outside, are... Of, outside of reifying the subatomic scale, right, which if you know what electrostatics is, that was a non sequitur anyway. So outside of the subatomic scale, actual matter, matter, okay? But you, neutrons are matter. They no, make up, the, yes, they are. They make up the, the nucleus of the atom. They're literally a particle of matter. Protons, neutrons, and the, the up and down quarks that make up protons and neutrons, as well as electrons, are all matter particles They're because they make up matter. matter. The neutron is electrically neutral. It doesn't have electric charge. So it is a fundamental piece of matter that has no electric potential because it doesn't okay. interact with the electric field. Okay, I'm not going to debate quantum mechanics with you. It's an it's an attempt to quantify the immaterial. It's nothing. The electron is nothing more than the dielectric end of one terminal end of unit line unit line of dielectric induction. The terminal end of one unit line of dielectric induction. It's a gap in the sphere. Anyway, it, all, all I'm saying is, dude, you're just you're just making up theories and you're not actually <laughs> addressing what I'm saying. It's okay. Electrostatics is much stronger. Nothing outside of the subatomic theoretical nonsense field it, that is matter isn't electrostatic. Everything is. So you live on an electric earth that's stationary, geocentric. The sky moves over top of it in cycles. And this is all that we have evidence for. And you've not been able to provide any evidence to the contrary, unfortunately. That's actually viable. So I really hope somebody listening in the chat can go to the Wikipedia page on quantum electrodynamics and make sure that they edit it to, to say that I am the one that's apparently made that made all that up. <laughs> Please do that because I'd love to be credited for that instead of people like Richard Feynman and um, uh, I think Wheeler, uh, Paul Dirac, people like that who actually developed it. I'm just, you know, reiterating the factual information that we have. Uh, I, I have provided evidence. Not only have I shown that there are things that that only make sense if the earth is spherical, but I have shown that when when talking about the broader models the methodologies that we as humans use for understanding the world i've shown that it's through those methodologies that we know that the earth is is a sphere so uh, I, I i have provided evidence and justified why that evidence is in fact evidence and i remember going on an entire spiel about grounding counterfactuals and how this relates to something's being evidence and to say that something is evidence to say that something account
counts for something else is to say that there are counterfactuals that can be grounded such that we can show an accountance of the thing that we're trying to explain. Okay, I, I, I think, think this, this is reached the same, but I'll ask you this one more time. If the radius value that is claimed is falsified, does that falsify the entire model, yes or no? No, of course not. Okay, well, you'll get there, there bro. What we are going to do is jump into Q&A and want to mention a couple of things. Whoa, my mic is funky tonight, folks. Sorry about that. That's why that mic, uh, that's why that echo was popping in before. <clears throat> and I'm going to work to try to reduce that during the Q&A. But I want to let you know, first, folks, if you've been watching this long, you must. It's really good odds. You enjoy at least one of these speakers. And I want to let you know they're linked in the description. So if you're like, I want to hear more. Hmm. Well, you certainly can, and that includes if you're listening via the podcast, as we put our guest links in the description box for the podcast as well, and in fact, they're at the very top of the description box, so you don't miss them. Also, we're going to jump into these questions. We have so many folks, I'm going to move fast, but bear with me. We're going to try to get through every single one of them, and if we don't, forgive me. But Zippy the Pinhead says, may the truth, may the true earth shape wind. Thank you for that, Zippy. And Magellan says... Witsit bingo. <clears throat> they say that this is on their Witsit bingo card. Reification fallacy presuppose R, omnidirectionality, electromagnetism, and perspective. Witsit, is this what do you think of this smack talk? Uh, I, think I think it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting, interesting that, that uh, all those things still refute your position, and I'm forced to say them every single time. So cool. Thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Magellan as well, says, Witsit, no, the burden of proof is on the one questioning the status quo in this case. That is you. Oh, well, objectively, uh, your opinion doesn't get to change the way it works. The person making a positive claim has the burden of proof, so I don't have to prove anything. Falsification is independent of replacement. And, of course, we did falsify your model by physically measuring the surface of the Earth. Welcome to 2021. The Earth is flat. May I provide just a very brief comment to that question, sure. James? Or do we not have time? Ready for you. Go ahead. Um, so I just wanted to say that they make a very valid point. Uh, I mean, Austin Witsit is correct that if you make a positive claim, there, the, the, you, you, are, you are committing yourself to a burden of justification to provide some sort of, some sort of reason that, that, that confers warrant for accepting the claim that you made. But the, the, the questioner there is correct in that if somebody is questioning what, what the, the epidemic, the academic consensus is and what the empirical literature show, then the onus would be on them to confute that because since there is sound methodologically sound and a vast amount of empirical literature all pointing to the same thing. And then the expert consensus being thrown on top of that seems to indicate that we, you know, we have good reasons for believing this thing. So if somebody's going to going to challenge that, then they would be required to provide um, good reasons for why they're challenging that consensus. We must move to the next question. Let's see. <clears throat> We do, I gotta keep it in mind that we've gotta rush through these. So we, we, as long as we can have them, I know that I'm like being so unfair to you guys because these topics deserve plenty of time to be hashed out. And so that's why I hate pushing you guys to be as pithy as possible. But Haywood, yeah, okay. Haywood, thanks to your, I realize what your name says. It says, 
why are all other planets spherical but not earth yeah so saying other planets is just stupid no one says that the earth is a planet and actually i document the quote-unquote planets all the time they're not they're not static they constantly fluctuate and move and pulsate and they look like they're in a fluid like medium and if i look at the sill and i say look there's a light bulb that must mean the ground's a light bulb that's ridiculous and we physically measure the surface of the earth it isn't a plane it's a it's not a planet it's a plane and it's not out in space in the solar system that's all fake that's called a straw man fallacy you got it and thank you very much for this question coming in from ozzy and says entropy pressure finds equilibrium in a closed system Earth has a pressure gradient. Earth is not a closed system. Gradient proves gravity wits it. <laughs> yeah, so gradient doesn't prove gravity. And again, we're asking about the antecedent of pressure. The necessary antecedent of pressure is containment. So that's X. You're talking about delta X, a change in pressure. Basically, once again, reifying and begging the question, of the pressure's antecedent relationship and then tell me about its characteristics. That's called conflating qualitative and quantitative characteristics. This one coming in from Hillside says, the angle of the sun, Leo? Visit flatearthintel.com and educate yourself. I, I did. I, I um, actually understand things like physics and chemistry and geology and a variety of other subjects. So while I don't know everything, I actually, you know, consult professionals in the field and the relevant academic literature when I have questions, not conspiratorial websites. Gotcha. Thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Germania says, if the earth is flat, why would they, whoever they are, want to keep it a secret? What's the point in the secrecy of the earth's shape? P.S. I love Leo. Give you a chance to respond to that. What's it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Why did they tell us there were weapons of mass destruction that they knew were there and then went and fought a war and then discovered that there weren't there? You know why? Because they had a motivation to lie, probably resources. But no, just hiding vast amounts of land as this guy preemptively doesn't follow my logic and thinks somehow I'm diverting. If you were to lie about major portions of the earth, you probably would have a little bit of control over resources that no one knows about, wouldn't you? As it's literally illegal to privately explore past the 60th south latitude or to fly within 500 miles of each direction of the center. So why would they lie? Uh, why would they not lie? And whether or not you know why they lied has nothing to do with the fact that you can falsify the lie. You got it, And Thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Kango44 says, what's it holding the most dishonest? position ever if you really wanted to measure the shape of the earth you could do it in a weekend yeah i make long distance observations all the time they're consistently in no way demonstrating a uh, globular earth with a radius of 3959 i've debunked the physical obstruction that is needed for the globe earth all over the united states so if anyone wants to actually you know enlighten me of physical measurement of earth curvature i'm all ears until you actually come up with that the rest is all talk you got it and thank you very much for this question coming in from kango 44 says it's crazy to think that we have google maps but are arguing about the validity of an experiment 2500 years ago measuring the earth Google Maps yeah. uses a flat Earth, for, like, maps are flat, so cool story. 
Next up, this one coming yeah. in from Leo's buddy, Standing for Truth, says, James the man, always looking fresh. Thank you for that kind word, Standing for Truth. And thank you, Leo. Seriously, I appreciate you, man. I, I was so cranky with you earlier, and I'm sorry about that. I really do appreciate you, and thanks for always taking it so well. I appreciate your passion. And this one coming <laughs> in you. from Jay Mole says, for Witsit, how do you explain the Northern Lights? Uh, it looks like an effect of the polarization within an electromagnetic field. It's just illuminating the uh, excitation that is light around the central point of the magnetic source. So that would be my answer. You can't get to the actual central convergence point. It's illegal. You got it. Kango 44 strikes again. Says, Witsit, please send a link to the website with all your experimental evidence to back your position. I hope it's more than the black swan photo where you just don't understand refraction. Yeah. So standard refraction is called terrestrial refraction seven over six R, which uses the R value, which is what's literally in contention to reaffirm, beg the question of a geometric claim and the value to then say it proves the R value is actual absurdity. Actually, refraction is the difference between two media. It's called Snell's law. You need a differential equation to apply it to the earth. But most of you guys don't know that. That's why he's uncomfortably laughing, but not really my problem. Uh, ignorance is pretty see-through. And uh, yeah, there you go. There's plenty. I don't have a website with all the evidence for you. Go to 24-7 Flat Earth Discord. Just one sentence. I'm laughing because you don't understand optics. Cool. This one coming in from Amazing. GPS says, Austin, have you studied orbital dynamics? Have I studied it? No, I have looked into uh, parts of it. Though. I've actually talked to numerous aerospace engineers about the specific requirement of the radius value that this guy said they're wrong about. So uh, I've, I've talked to aerospace engineers and read different books, but no, I haven't studied orbital mechanics. I haven't studied Narnia either. This one coming in from Mark Reed says, Austin, if you are suggesting the size of the Earth is wrong, what method would you use to calculate the actual size? Um, I don't claim, I don't make a size claim to the Earth. It's it's literally illegal to go past the 60th south latitude privately. So I, I don't make a size claim. I falsified your claim. If the Earth was a ball, it'd be really simple. You'd physically measure the Earth curvature. You could shoot a laser over water and get physically obstructed by the Earth curvature at the rate necessitated by the radius. It does not do this. There are numerous things that you could do. None of them actually work. And every time you actually test the surface, it never has that curvature rate. So there you go. Physical measurements of Earth curvature would be great. And it simply doesn't exist. You got it, Anne. Thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from... Sphincter of Doom says any object of sufficient mass will, due to its own gravity, take on a spheroidal shape. The minimum calculated mass for this to occur is 0. 0.0001 Earths. That's what's up. So, yeah, a theoretical presupposition of a magical fairy tale reification fallacy called gravity that gives physical properties to conceptual abstraction will cause things to coalesce into perfect spheres i promise and if i can ever see something be a sphere on the small scale that must mean that the earth's radius that's been falsified is actually true and i'm in a vacuum that defies the second law can i ask austin just one really quick sure. question just simple yes or no yeah. austin do you know what a diffeomorphism is no okay okay that must make the earth a ball i'm working no, on just gauging your understanding People have told me the echo is still there. Don't worry. I've got my sweet earbuds. I, I'm going to open these up. But Grimlock says, stay in school, kids. Math skills are important. 
Although that could be an insult toward either of you, maybe even both of That's you. True. I don't know who they were actually intending it toward. But I don't think it's towards me. I actually understand <laughs> math. I'm, 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 I'm the, still good at math. Except for the math. radius value. You don't seem to understand the radius value very well. If you understood math that much, you would know your entire mathematical construct and framework of the heliocentric model depends upon the accuracy of the R value and is intrinsically falsified upon the falsification of that number. So, yeah, I agree. But math is pretty simple. Geometry is like, what, sixth grade? So maybe the question. Yeah, you say that you didn't know what a diffeomorphism is. So we'll, I guess we'll leave it to the audience who has a better understanding of math. I tried to open my oh, earbuds. Okay. Oh, man. I, I accidentally chopped my earbuds while opening the packaging with the scissors. And now it's frayed. Uh, Don't worry. They were on clearance for a buck. I, well, I've got another one. Kango44 says, Witsit, please share a link with all the photos the black swan oil rigs you did take multiple photos over many days didn't you you understand you would need multiple photos of the same location to make a measurement well it's just about uh it ex the horizon is an apparent location and the flat earth knows that the horizon is on a real place on the globe earth it's a real physical tangible place that obstructs your view at a certain geometric rate so just seeing the horizon one time beyond that geometric limitation falsifies it and not only did we see it beyond it we saw it 10 times further requiring the radius to be over a quarter million miles and this guy didn't answer there are no sufficient rebuttals no one ever answers so it, you know it is what it is i mean whatever and this one coming in from Kent Woods says, it is the mark, and this is their quoting Aristotle, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Not sure who that's meant for. Next up, Ray the Way says, could you both agree that we could live on a convex lens, a flat earth model, but the surface curves, just an idea, by the way. No, it'd have to be a full sphere because of the things that we observe about our existence on that sphere. Yeah, there's no concavity or convexity to the surface of the Earth, so either way, it doesn't work. And, and can I just make one really quick statement to the last quote that we heard from the Aristotle? I don't really know who that quote's attributed to. I just wanted to say, a witty saying proves nothing. And that is, I believe, from Voltaire. This one coming in from King Conquest. Says, Witsit, why do you think we should see a geometric horizon through miles of atmosphere? Who told you that? Why doesn't refraction work in your misunderstanding of the globe? Uh, I, I don't know. I was just taught that from like fifth grade up that boats disappear over the curvature of the earth. And the reason that I can't see cities in the distance is because the curvature of the earth. And the reason that the sun sets is because the curvature of the earth. And the reason we only see parts of the sky is because of the curvature of the earth. So why do I think that? Because that's literally what your model claims and a physical geometric sphere edge or tangent point would physically obstruct your view and physically be there. It doesn't just disappear because there's air there. So that's probably why I think it is because it's intrinsic geometrically within your own claim. You got it. This one coming in from Kango44 says, Witsit, the sun does not change angular size to an observer during the day. So during a sunset, is the sun going behind the edge of the earth? 
Actually, at times, the angular size does change, and no, it doesn't go behind the edge of the Earth. When something moves in the distance, it uh, reaches the vanishing point due to angular resolution limit, and you can't see it anymore. This is exactly what we observe. So unless you want to look at the end of a long uh, railroad or a street with street lights and say, look, those street lights are going behind the curvature of the Earth, then you understand it's simply perspective, angular resolution, and then atmospheric conditions playing into that. So there you go. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. John Kramer says, thank you. Modern day debate for having these First Amendment open free speech debates. Good stuff. Thank you for your kind words. And I pass all the credit to the speakers as they are the lifeblood of the channel. We really do appreciate them. They're linked in the description. Folks, if you've been listening this long, there's no doubt you must like at least one of these guys to where you're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I want to hear more. And this one coming in from King Conquest Strikes Again says Leo Witsit is playing a character. They all are. They are unsuccessful. Oh, this is like, why do you have to make it personal? And then they say, okay. they don't believe this, this, but they don't understand the globe fully. So I think we'll give you a chance. I mean, they address Leo, but I mean, I got to give Austin a chance to respond to this. They're saying, Austin, because you, you didn't maybe reach your, your dream that we all have of becoming a Hollywood celebrity or whatever it is. They're saying, Austin, are you now making up a flat earth to become, you know, uh, quasi uh, famous or what do you what do you both think? about? Uh, Yeah, openly stating that I think the earth is flat has been nothing but detrimental. Right. Because people are weak minded and they conform to groupthink. People that are ignorant of the radius or anything about it will say I'm stupid for knowing all about it and reading the theory of relativity two times. So I guess that what it really comes down to is I had to give up a job offer with six, you know, six figures starting out for this and get death threats and all kinds of crazy stuff. So if you want to convince yourself, I just do this to to be relevant or whatever. That's a cool story, bro. But the truth is, it's actually very difficult. It requires a lot of integrity to stand up in the face of societal ostracism and speak the truth. So This one coming in from Seven Dank. I didn't see a question attached, but let me know if you had one. But thank you for your support. And Wolf Von Hinslick, good to see you again, says, I'm a retired Army 13D10, in parentheses, artillery. By the way, thanks for serving, Wolf. And they said, and we absolutely had to factor in Earth's rotation, depending how far out the shot needed to be. So this is basically the empty claim that they had to account for Coriolis, which isn't true. It's in a manual, if anything, and not in reality. You don't have to account for Coriolis or Earth curvature with any long-distance trajectories whatsoever, unless you claim that it's built in. Uh, And which way did you do it? East or west? Which way were you shooting? Which way did you have to update? Was it consistent? And all of it doesn't actually exist in reality. I know long-distance snipers myself. This one coming in from Made by Jim Bob says, Leo, do you own anything signed by Neil Neil Tyson deGrasse? Well, it's, it's Neil deGrasse Tyson, and no, I don't. Being, if, if I'm being honest, well, I, I can't really say that I think that Neil deGrasse Tyson is like a, a morally deficient person or anything, despite the fact that there are what I would argue some credible accusations against him in a particular area. Investigations were done and nothing was really came of it, so I'm not really going to comment to that. But I, I'm not really the biggest fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson or people like Michio Keku or Lawrence Krauss because they're not science educators to me. They're science popularizers. They'll talk about science in a way that makes it seem like this special, mystical, ethereal thing that, that you know, try to try to get people interested in it, where I believe in just communicating and explicating what science is and, and, and why it's important to us. So I'm, I'm, I'm really 
while I'm not making any statements about his moral moral character, I'm not particularly a fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson. You got it. I, yeah, I couldn't tell if they were asking because they were like excited. They're like, "Ooh, I'm so excited that you have a book that's signed by him." Or if they were going to say like, "It's sad that you do have something signed by him," because you know it's true. Ten years ago, he was untouchable, and people thought of him as like everybody just thought like, "Oh, of course he's cool." And now there's a, it's a more mixed opinion set among the population. But this one from Chris Gammon says, "For both, how high do I have to fly above Dallas, Texas, home of DebateCon?" Thanks for that plug, Chris. Says, before I can see Mount Everest with a super powerful telescope. Can can you see Mount Everest from any elevation above Dallas, Texas? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's incredibly ignorant to think that you would. It, it, basically, it's, what he's doing is strawmanning the flat earth, which is all you'll ever get, which is if the earth's flat, you should be able to see forever, effectively see. Oh, yeah, Everest. if the earth is flat, you should be able to see Everest. Yeah, totally. How, so how high up would you have to go? It's called angular resolution limit to the eye. You, you can't see forever. You have a vanishing point in the Nobody's- sky. Okay, well, we're not in the debate. Never mind. Yeah, it's not. It's just ridiculous. It's like a very remedial straw man. But if you want to be honest about the conversation, look into it. If you still think flat earth means you could see across the whole world, you have not even fully understood the position. I see that. I get the point of the question because it's on the other side of the planet. Yeah. Whether you be, uh, does that terminology still work on a flat earth model? That it's on the other side of the planet. You could say like it's far, far away. I don't know. But I get yeah, we're just the, on the other side of the plane of the earth. Juicy. We don't like <laughs> Astronaut 66 says, Witsit gets it. Why can we use Foucault's pendulum to determine our latitude anywhere on Earth? And why does it not show any effect on the equator? Well, actually, there is a uh, pretty consistent drift over top of the Earth. But in 1851, with your little pendulum that you keep bringing up from literally 1851 is the best evidence of axial rotation, I guess we have. But uh, it doesn't prove anything. It has to be started itself. It doesn't have an independent frame of reference. And something called the Elias effect happens during eclipses, where, in fact, it goes the opposite direction. And in no way, in no way is measuring axial rotation. Elias effect disproves it, as does the lack of independent frame of reference in that you have to start it yourself and have some type of mechanism to keep it going. Can I say one thing? Sure. Just one to clarify the Foucault's pendulum. It it measures, it picks up the angular momentum of the orbit of the Earth, and as it it traces out a figure eight as it goes back and forth instead of just a straight line, obviously I'm exaggerating a little bit. Um, That is due to conservation of of angular momentum. So I think um, the opposite way during the eclipse, though. During the eclipse? I would have to see data on that. Okay. Juicy. This one coming in from, do appreciate it, Hillside says, not knowing how the radius was calculated just begs the question of how Leo got into this debate. Leo, are you going to take that? I, I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that was like a dig at me. Um, I, I, I have this debate because I think it's important for people to realize that there are certainly valid methodologies we can utilize to understand the world that we exist within. And when we apply them, we find that we are living on a planet that is about uh, 25,000 miles in circumference and is rotating at about three degrees per hour. And it orbits a star. You got it. And this one coming in from Astronaut66 says, Oh, we got that one. And Mark Reed says, Witsit, you never answered the question. Where did the rocket go when it was launched? It didn't come down. 
Where did it go? Hey, you didn't answer that question. What, what, what rocket didn't come down? You're talking about the, J, the Jake Webb telescope specifically? Yeah, the telescope, telescope, space telescope. Oh, man, I was too busy not being a loser, not watching that. So I guess I'll have to go check it out before I give any comments on it. I'm sure it was shot over the water with a parabolic trajectory, though. Yeah, but don't things, when they're launched, have parabolic trajectories? Yeah. Isn't that, a, isn't that an aspect? Well, no, that's that, that's just a result of dropping the density of Earth's atmosphere, the rotation of the Earth as you pull away from it, and you leave its gravitational field. There's a lot of things that result in that. Also, what is the thing that flashes and looks like a really, really giant satellite that I can see through a telescope going by that they tell me is the International Space Station? And why can I see it at the same, at the exact place they're going to tell me that it's going to be at that exact time when I go to look for it there? Yeah, the ISS moves in a cycle, the ISS, and uh, it's definitely not 252 miles in the air going 17,500 miles an hour, five miles a second with glitches all over their cameras. So I don't, cool story, bro. <laughs> so then what is it? A uh, light in the sky. But it's not. I've seen it. It looks like a satellite. It looks like the it's only time a big, big, big thing. Did you watch a lunar transit? What do you? What, what does a lunar transit have to do with The only with time this? you can even supposedly see it is a lunar transit. No, you can see it through a telescope. You can actually see it fairly decently through a good pair of binos on, on a clear day. I, I looked at it through a telescope. You just see the light. You don't see the actual structure unless it's a I did, time. though. I saw it. Anyway, we got we to gotta go on. I okay, had the wrong mic on this whole time. That was where the echo was coming from. So embarrassing. This one from Seven Dank attached their question this time. It says, happy new fear, in quotes. All the best, James, in 2022. Thanks for your support. I don't get it. Is this a new hip phrase among the young people? You guys? Okay. I don't know. I, I have no clue. <laughs> This one, this one coming in from Victor of Doom says, Odd that Witsit is able to exert pressure on his vocal cords to create statements that gas pressure requires a container. Uh, yeah, lungs are containers. <laughs> Wait, so how come when you inhale, the, the air doesn't rush out of them equally in all directions? How come you can hold your breath? You, you close your, your is lungs. It, yeah, is it because there's other forces holding the gas where it is? It closes your lungs. Yeah, yeah there, there are other forces that are holding that gas where it is. It physically Ultimately. closes the containment. Well, actually, no, that's not really what happens. So there's yeah, physical, <laughs> there, there's forces acting that hold it. Yep, okay. Uh, uh, okay, we'll move on. This one coming in from Kango44 says, what's it? I'm about to slap the taste out of your mouth. They said, maybe even learn about thermodynamics before trying to debate it. Yeah, okay, cool story. Uh, as thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics applies to this fairy tale that you think is real, right? It would fill the available space seeking equilibrium. Entropy would increase, and so this is an impossibility according to natural law, and your model claims opposite to that. Can I ask Pretty you a question? Simple. Just a quick question about um, thermodynamics. What's up, man? Do you know what Do you know what the Alden rate is? Nope. No. Okay. Okay. Do you know how uh, you could have a vacuum next to gas pressure? Yeah, I do. Just you call out your 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 big G word. Yeah, gravity. gravity. You know, that, that thing. That thing that we can measure. You know. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Long nights, YouTube says land was surveyed using 
telescopic transits. Then laser transits were used and now we have GPS. All confirms a spherical Earth. How are they all wrong, Witsit? GPS actually comes after what predated it called the uh, Loran system, which is a, Car a Cartesian coordinate system. All I did was act at a Z axis. The only way you have any of the locations mapped out is, of course, planar survey. Then you put that out onto a mapped out surface and you presuppose that it's a sphere and think somehow that proves there's a sphere when literally the use case of GPS predates anything to do with a Z axis or a sphere. So it's just a very ignorant question, I would say. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Mr. Monster says, what is the moon made of, in your opinion, if it's not a steroid rotating around Earth, another spheroid? I think they meant spheroid instead of steroid. Steroid. So what is it, what is the moon made of, in your opinion, if it's not a spheroid rotating around Earth, which is another spheroid? Yeah, of course. And, and back to the first part here, which is that falsification is independent of replacement. But uh, this, the moon just an apparent location pretty clearly. We have lunar waves. We have numerous things. Now, I don't believe that the, that the moon's actually a sphere, that if it was spinning one mile per hour faster or slower, we'd see the other side. But conveniently, it doesn't. And conveniently, it just happens to be 400 times closer than the sun. So optically, based on pure random cosmic happenstance, they look like they're the same size because the diameter of the moon's also 400 times smaller than that of the sun's. That's a whole bunch of fairy tales. I see a night light a daylight they're like the same size they move over top of the earth and that's all that i have to say falsifications independent of replacement so what process emits the electromagnetic radiation from the moon what process emits it yes well there's an electromagnetic field encompassing all of it so then yeah but what's producing that field the uh oh the the power source is clearly in the center yeah but what is it uh some type of magnetic source that it's illegal to go to what what is that source? It's illegal to go there. How would I know? What do that? you mean? What do you mean it's illegal to go? You're going to tell me you're going to go to the center of the moon? You can't go to the North Pole. No, I'm saying no. The, what's the source of the magnetism on the Earth? The center of the Earth? There's no, I'm talking about what's the source of the light the moon emits? Like, because with yeah, the sun, well, it's the electro. It's a you know nuclear fusion. No, the moon is nothing more than a light. So then, what's producing the light? The polarization based on the electromagnetic field. What's causing the polarization? You're you're asking me to literally theorize something that you know nothing about. No, uh, so I don't. I think it's you who doesn't know anything about electromagnetism. No. I'm I'm done. Okay, good, cool story, man. So yeah, there's electromagnetic field on the Earth, and that the the moon's the apparent location. I don't have to make claims of solidity, spherosity, or any other nonsense that can be falsified with stuff like the Selenillion eclipse. I just stick where in this world I can be honest and not have to believe in fairy tales. It's pretty easy. This one coming in from Sphincter of Doom it says, forces aren't limited to gravity. The forces of quote-unquote other gases will also influence the dispersion of a gas. Denser gases concentrate at the surface. Okay, so like I said, we have an equipotential electric field on the Earth that goes up 100 volts per meter equipotential with a downward current. And that electrostatics that's on the Earth in the resonance field is known to be 10 to the 26 power stronger than gravity even claims to be on the smallest scale. So you cannot isolate gravity if something 10 to the 26 power stronger is there now, can you? So you have no evidence on the local scale of gravity. Your own model admits this. Einstein's theory of relativity admits this, but you can just jump on YouTube say I'm stupid, and somehow it, it makes sense. 
You got it. And thank you very much for your question. Decepticons Forever says, Witsit sadly doesn't get it. Okay, next up. Oh, man. These people. You're public enemy number one out there, Winston. Does that make you feel proud? You know, it's like, Steven, thanks for your super sticker. Appreciate your support as well as question. The answer says, literally just saw Leo Google what electrostatics were, then read it like he was teaching it, laughing my butt off. Great. And he said, Earth is flat. Yeah, I don't know what that has to do um, with with anything. I, I googled electrostatics and then read what it was to show that my opponent was not correct on what they were saying it is, and uh, you're going to attack me for that? That's just funny. I, wh what point are you making? I, yeah, I looked something up to show that somebody had it wrong. What? <laughs> well, they, they technically, I censored it a little bit. So they said, then read it like he was condescendingly teaching it. As if you like knew it beforehand, I think is what they're saying. I, 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 static. I did say what it was before I looked it up and then read the, the actual technical definition. It's a study of static electric fields. This one coming in from Surgeon General says, hashtag beta bits, make the world go round. Whoops, wrong chat. Thanks for your support. That's right. We do have a Twitch chat, folks. And I will throw that in the old live chat for you in case you happen to prefer that more. And thanks very much for your question. Sphincter of Doom says, I don't think I've heard one argument for why the Earth was flat from Whitsitt, only that it isn't spherical. If so, he's engaging in a false dichotomy. Oh, well, in my opener, I very clearly gave you evidence that the Earth is flat. We shoot radio waves over 10,000 miles with no physical Earth's obstruction. Sextants have been used for hundreds of years and can successfully navigate hundreds of miles using celestial objects obtaining elevation angles requiring a horizontal, which is impossible on a globe, yet they still work. There's a hundred different proofs that the Earth is flat. I'll say it again because Globers hate it, but it doesn't change it. Falsification is independent of replacement i feel the burden of my one positive claim that the surface is flat next you can shoot radio waves on a globe earth this one coming in from do appreciate it stupid new year's whore energy says why doesn't the angular size of the sun change throughout the day if it is small and near and also why am i a beta what okay we'll go ahead with the first question though it's it Angular size of the sun and the moon do uh, occasionally change. Actually, okay, have you never seen like a harvest moon? Have you never seen the moon at, uh, at whenever it's rising? Have you never seen the sun when it rises and sets? Um, there's not much angular size change difference in apparent location. We don't even know what medium it's in. And there is an angular size change throughout the year as well. So, yeah, we actually do see it change. So how does that work on your model? This one coming in from Question the Answers. It says, humbly ask the creator of this world to open your heart and mind to, quote, in all caps, the truth, and then actively seek it instead of endless ridicule. Earth, and then in all caps, is level. Level just means flat, eh? Um, there is no creator of the world. Shock. This one coming in from Pineapple Platypotamus. Which one of you practices forgiveness the most? Juicy personal question. I, how do we? How could either one of us have a spectrum of that? I don't. I don't know this yeah, guy. I don't doesn't know what that means. 
Let's see. I'm curious in your personal philosophies because it's such a fun. I think it's an interesting question. Maybe it's because I'm in psychology, but do you hold forgiveness as a personal value on a scale of one to ten? Are you guys willing to say? I I guess I would probably say yeah. I just I don't really. I guess I don't use the word forgiveness, but I am one of those people that kind of you know if somebody does something to me, usually I'll just like move on. Oh yeah, get on with my life. Philosophically, I would say yeah, it is very important. I would say ten because it actually will uh, it'll manifest problems personally, right? So I would say yeah, it's important to forgive people. Juicy. This is the one time where I have to be able to see because you. I think people have heard me preach the idea of forgiveness before. One in the sense of you're definitely not. Well, I can't. But one thing I heard interesting. I read this the other day. Is that you know. Any time that you're using while trying to quote unquote get back on some get back at somebody is like a waste of time in the sense that you could be using it to put yourself in a better position, like working on developing your own new skills or meeting new people or making new relationships, whatever it is. It's something interesting to consider. T Fish says, Leo, <laughs> stop laughing. Witsit took you to the cleaners. I get what well, I, I guess I'm a dirty boy and I need to be cleaned, you know, what with all my talk of like, you know, these crazy ideas like gravity, you know, things falling down. Psh, we're all out here flying around. What are you talking about? Einstein ain't going to get me with his convoluted ideas. You got it. And huge R's says, what's it? Why can I see the South Celestial Pole? Any clear night from my home in Australia. How can there be two celestial poles on flat Earth? There, there isn't a celestial pole. So, you know, all you're doing is all, all listen very carefully. All the stars in the sky, all of them, they all go east to west. Clockwise and counterclockwise are nothing more than apparent locations or apparent rotations. They're not the same as actual directions. So there, there's the answer. You're conflating the two. Juicy. This one coming in from. Do appreciate it. Hold on a second. Loading. You guys remember when you were at the library the last two nights? I'm so glad to be home. Warren Evans says, according to thermodynamics, contained pressurized systems should have equal pressure everywhere. Why doesn't the Earth have equal pressure if it's contained? Yeah, it's a closed dynamic system. There's a constant fluctuation of temperatures everywhere, as are electromagnetic energies, et cetera. We have wind currents. We have uh, gas constantly being produced at the surface level. We have a higher density. Again, we have electric voltage that goes up 100 volts per meter up in our atmosphere. We have atmospheric electricity, and that would tie right in with the gradient, which uh, has nothing to do with the question of how is the pressure here in the first place again, though. This one coming in? Yeah, from- that... Go ahead. I was just going to say that that all explains explains it perfectly. All of those reasons are why it's not an equilibrium because the Earth isn't a closed system. Because anybody who's like ever opened up an actual textbook on thermodynamics knows that if you are feeding energy into a system from outside of it, the system is open to that energy and it's not it's it's entropy will not be increasing. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Question the answer says, some fog hinders sight from 20 feet. 
Of course, it can't be seen from that far away. There is a lot of precipitation in between that alone would hinder the view. I think they're maybe referring to, like, could be anything. Maybe, like, for example, Mount Everest. I think they're trying to say that there's just too much in the air. Yeah. So, maybe you... Yeah. My guess is you agree, yeah. Austin. Yeah, like like basically when you bring up, you said that I should see Mount Everest across the world if it's flat. He's saying, no, I mean, uh, you know, fog alone or something like in the air, density of the atmosphere itself wouldn't allow you to see that. But what if there was no fog? Well, what if uh, there was no atmosphere? That's your question. What if there was no well, atmosphere? Well, no. Is that what I asked? I asked what if there was no fog? There'd still be density of air. So? Okay, so you can't look through infinite distances. Of are you infinite. saying Mount Everest is infinitely far away? I'm saying you can't look through the air forever. So Mount Everest is forever away? No, it doesn't have to be. Okay, so then we would only be seeing a finite distance to Mount Everest. Yeah. Why can't we? Whenever it's really humid in Florida, you can't see three miles away, bud. <laughs> yeah, but what if there is no humidity? What if there is no humidity? Yeah. What? What if? Yeah. What if there wasn't wasn't enough humidity to obstruct your vision? It's still a compilation of a dense medium, and it's so, denser lower to the surface, so you can't see through a compilation of dense medium. lower to the surface. Yeah. Why? Because of I already told you about the voltage potential, and voltage you still don't get it. Has nothing to do with it. Really? So there's not a downward current on the Earth in the electric field. Um, I have no idea what that even is supposed to mean. Okay, so again, you're ignorant, so we'll move on. Well, it's not know. that I'm ignorant. It's that the terms you're using are just not terms that, that anybody well, you, that you actually understands your... these things would recognize. Given that I've actually like watched lectures taught by you know people like Alan Guth in electromagnetism through MIT OpenCourseWare, the, mm -hmm. the, the terms you're using are not terms I've, I've heard examining academic up, literature so i just I, that's Feynman. what i just keep saying i don't know what you mean because i just quoted richard Feynman. i just quoted richard Feynman. i just quoted richard Feynman. quotes so, aren't arguments next. no you just said that no one says that richard Feynman, the guy you brought up earlier as your hero he just now i just explained to you what he explained the look of richard Feynman's lecture on the equipotential electric field on the earth 100 volts per meter how there's a downward current on the earth so okay you got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your question. Oh, let me just be sure I'm in order. Oh, Sinker of Doom says flat earthers are hard to find. It's like they fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. No one thinks you can fall off. Can you fall off of a lake? No, you reach a shore. That's called a strawman. Juicy. This one coming in from. King Conquest says. Austin's character depends on his strong attitude. You have to say silly things with conviction to be relevant, or else you'll just be dismissed. I think this is a personal attack on you, Austin. Is that what no it is? No way. No, they love me, man. This guy secretly loves me, James, and watches all my uh, YouTube streams. I'm not even kidding. He probably, he probably does, bro. But, uh, yeah, cool story, man. We falsified the radius. Uh, the whole model has been falsified if that radius value is wrong. The Earth is flat. Don't make this weird. You got it. And Warren Evans says, did we read this? I think we did. According to thermodynamics, contained pressurized systems should have equal pressure everywhere. Why doesn't the Earth have equal pressure if it's contained? 
Once again, it's a closed dynamic system with transfer of heat constantly going on, production of gases in the gas cycle at the surface. We also have greater density at the surface based on an electric field that's equipotential 100 volts per meter all the way up. So one, Earth is an, Earth is an open system, unless, I mean, Austin is trying to argue that the Earth doesn't get energy from the sun. Uh, also, I, I just because I was curious, I looked up this this electric potential of the Earth thing, and I oh, I found out that uh, because you know that's what I do. I look things up when I don't know what they are to find out what they are, and then when I find out the person is wrong, I correct them. Um, the, the Earth actually has a very very low electric potential. That's why we ground things, you know, by touching the wire to the Earth. Okay, yeah. So the Earth typically has a neutral or negative charge on the surface, positive building up a hundred volts per meter. So, thanks. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question, Mike Vincent. I've never heard anyone say, quote, I don't know what that means, unquote, so many times in one debate. Maybe after Leo gets done playing Fortnite later, he can go learn more about gas pressure. Um, so I don't play Fortnite. I PK on RuneScape. That's what I do in my spare time if we're talking about video games. So if you think you're tough, let's meet in the wildy, buddy. Let's go. Anyway, um, <laughs> if you get it, you get it. Um, any, anyway, I, I've said I don't know what that means so much because I have never in my life so much heard a drastic butchering of the terminology that scientists would use. I, I Look, if somebody says a thing and I have no clue what it, what they just said, I'm going to say, yeah, I don't know what that means. That's not a testament to how little I know. It's a testament to uh, how little I can understand of whatever the person I'm saying it to is saying. You, if I don't understand what you're saying, I, I'm i not going to know what you mean. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Nuclear Creations. Appreciate it. I didn't see a question attached. Let me know if you had one. But it is about 9.30. What we have to do is I've got to tell you, one, folks, our guests are linked in the description. If you've been listening, and that includes via podcast, we put our guest links in the description box at the very top every time because we really do appreciate our guests. Seriously, they're the lifeblood of the channel, and so you can find their links. As well as Mango T, thanks for your questions. This flat earth is true. Witsit is correct. Glovers want to continue to brainwash others. Leo, you agree? I mean, I, I, I guess we're, we're also brainwashing them by teaching them that, you know, the, the, to calculate the, the area of a circle is um, pi r squared. That, that's propaganda, too. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. Mr. Monster, does the flat earth go on forever or does it end somewhere at a wall, Austin? That's a great question. You know, I mean, some claim that it could be infinite. I don't know. I just know that it's illegal to privately explore past the 60th south latitude. Um, I mean, obviously, this isn't scientific at all, but uh, the scriptures say that the, it'll never be measured. But e either way, I mean, uh, it's literally illegal to go there. So you can't privately go there. So I, I don't know, man. I, I wish that maybe more people would wake up and stop letting everyone think for themselves. So maybe we figure questions like that out. Juicy. Yeah, I agree. Governments don't have the right to limit this planet. With that. That is round. 
we have got to wrap up. It's already been two and a half hours. And so I want to say thank you to the debaters for staying this long with us. We do appreciate you guys. As mentioned, they're linked below, folks. You'd be crazy not to check out those links if you want to hear more. If you're like, mm, yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead and click them right now. I'm going to be back in just a moment with a post credit scene. Just like at the end of the Marvel movies, I'm going to tell you about some of the upcoming juicy debates that we have going on, including, folks, if you didn't know this, Modern Day Debates, first ever in-person conference, two days, January 15th and 16th in Dallas, Texas. That, as for example, is picturing one of the debates that's going to happen during that conference at the bottom right of your screen. You can see it. And I will give you updates about those debates as we have put up new debates. There's going to be about 14 debates that weekend. So I'm probably going to hibernate the rest of the winter after that conference is done. But I want to let you know, we appreciate our guests. So Leo and Witsit are both linked in the description, and I'll be right back with that post-credit scene. Stick around. Ladies and gentlemen, we are 100% thrilled. I am pumped to not be rushed tonight. The last two nights that we streamed, I was in the library. They're kicking me out. They're like, Jace, you got to go. It's 8 o'clock. I said, listen, we can't stop winning. We have to keep winning. And so I just wanted to keep going on with the stream forever. But I've got to tell you, my dear friends, a couple of things that I'm especially pumped about. And thanks for your last minute super chat. King Conquest. Man, I'm so sorry. I did not get to read that. We just Missed it as Austin just left. But I do want to say this. King Conquest, thanks for being with us. As well as T. Brown, we're glad you're here. Green Bastard, good to see you there in the old chat. As well as Brass Man and Drace equals love, wisdom, harmony. Thanks for your kind words. I've got to tell you folks, we have got big stuff going on. Right now, Modern Day Debate is on the cusp of a major breakthrough, a major leap in terms of our growth. And that's something that I've got to say thank you to you for. You guys have helped us get this far. We're pressing up against 60,000 subscribers, which is insane, my friends. We're absolutely thrilled about that and want to say thank you for making that happen. You guys, honestly, I enjoy this so much. You guys make this fun. I want to say you really do just by being here asking questions in the live chat as that helps us put on a good Q&A. Just hanging out with us seriously makes it fun and you really do help the channel just by being here. So we do appreciate you no matter what walk of life you are from. Christian, atheist, Biden backer, Trump supporter, Bernie bro, flat earth, globe earth, you name it. We really are. We really are thankful for you. So seriously, I appreciate you. It's always fun with you. And I've got to tell you what else. My dear friends, we have got some based stuff coming up. For example, I had already mentioned, this conference is going to be huge. It's January 15th and 16th, and tickets are on sale. This is the last night for the early bird pricing. I have continually said, like, let's, okay, let's just give it a little longer, because I really do want everybody to get a shot at the early bird pricing. So, for real, folks, do click onto this link that I'm about to throw into the old live chat right now as you do not want to miss this conference. It is going to be monstrous. And if you're like, oh, I can't commit to two days, is there a one-day ticket? There is actually. Yeah, you can actually get a one-day ticket because we have religion debates on Saturday the 15th of January and then Sunday the 16th. 
That's actually going to be political debates. And <clears throat> it's going to be at the Ibn Trademark Hotel near Dallas Love Field, the airport. You guys, I've got to tell you several things. One, for example, I've got to also say thank you so much to the person who contributed to the crowdfund as we not only have in-person tickets, but if you want to watch all the debates live, you can from home if you throw into the crowdfund. Now, some of the debates will be live no matter what. In other words, even if you don't throw into the crowdfund, but some of the debates are going to be set up such that you'd either have to, one, throw into the crowdfund, or two, be a part of the Patreon for Modern Day Debate, or three, be a channel member. So that's really big, folks, is i got to tell you, <clears throat> Either of those will work, and I want to encourage you, throw into the old crowdfund because, believe me, it is going to be gigantic. You don't want to miss any of these debates, and once they're live, we're going to take them down so they won't be up immediately after. We're going to try to edit some of them, and then some of them we're just going to kind of like cut out the music and things like that and re-upload them later. And so you don't want to wait. Be able to watch every single debate that weekend. And I've got to tell you this too. We are absolutely pumped. If you look at the thermometer on the far right of your screen, we have hit the 1,000 mark. And you might be like, James, but but out of 5,000, that looks scary. There's only 14 days left. Believe me, the last two weeks, and especially the last week, and especially the last few days, are when most of the donations come in. So we are actually on track. We're doing well with this crowdfund. And like I said, throwing into the crowdfund, which I will link in the description as well, will get you all of the debates to watch live and I've got to tell you, there are also other perks in there. So let me give you a review because you might be like, oh, I, was like, I don't know about like, what this is crowdfund stuff. That's weird, James. Well, let me tell you about it. Don't worry. <clears throat> don't worry. I'm not a ghost. I'm still here. So as you can see, my dear friends, <clears throat> on the screen, DebateCon is the name of our conference. It is going to be two days with approximately, it's going to be 10 debates. It's up to 14 debates now. So some of them, if you attend in person, you would actually watch one of two particular debates live. And so that's something to keep in mind. But I've got to tell you, we are using Indiegogo for this crowdfund. They are trustworthy. They take, it's only about 5%, which isn't bad realistically. And so that way we can put more funds to the actual conference. And that's absolutely essential for us. But I want to show you, you might be like, James, I like, how do I like sign in though? Well, take a look at this. You can actually, without even creating an Indiegogo account, sign in with Facebook. It's so easy. Piece of cake. And that way, you can throw into the crowdfund. And it might be you want one of the perks. You can throw into the crowdfund, whether it be to watch it live or for one of the perks. For example, even though we'll have an in-person audience, if a person throws in 50 bucks into the crowdfund, they'll actually be able to ask a question in live time to the debaters where I'll basically either through text messaging or through Gmail, I will get their questions during the debate and then we'll actually read them during the Q&A. So that's one perk example. And I've got to tell you, we're absolutely determined and we are absolutely encouraged. We are going to make our goal. It is going to be gigantic. And I've got to tell you, you might be like, I was like, tell me more about this, James. Like, how does it work? Well, this is, a, as an example, what you would see in the Indiegogo website. So let's say you logged in through Facebook, and then you'd see these perk options where you can click on whatever it is you want. And so, for example, you can watch all the debates live, as some of them are going to be live. 
But like I said, you have to be either a patron for Patreon or a member or throw into the crowdfund. The other stuff, let me show you this because you're like, oh, like, tell me more. We've successfully done this before. My dear friends, this is not our first rodeo. We have made this work before and we are confident that we can do it again. So for example, if you look at the screen right now, you will see Mike Jones and Michael Shermer. And the reason is because we did a crowdfund for that debate about a year ago. And it was a successful crowdfund where we met our goal and it was a phenomenal debate. And I've got to tell you, you might be like, James, are you sure you know what you're doing? I mean, that's only one. Good for you. No, 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 no. We've done it twice. So if you remember this one in the summer, we did a crowdfund that was successful. And we met our goal for that one. So believe me, we absolutely believe it's going to work. And you might be wondering, you're like, uh, James, I don't know. What's with the crowdfund stuff? I mean, you know, James, is it, are you trying to raise enough money to go on vacation? No, 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 no. 100% of the funds that come in through the crowdfund as well as through the ticket sales are being reinvested back into DebateCon Part 2 as we plan on having a conference in May. Now, Toby, thanks for your super chat, says, James, considering your background, what's your true personal opinion about Flat Earth? Don't hide behind your overly neutral PC moderator persona. Be honest, please. That's funny. I don't know if it was ever about being PC. I really am not super PC, actually. But <clears throat> Grimlock says, oh, by the way, yeah, I mean, I think you guys already knew that. I'm, I'm actually a glober, so... I welcome flat earthers and I uh, welcome people who are globe earthers in the same way that, you know, I can't agree with everybody. You guys know where I stand on a lot of these things. But Grimlock says James is secretly a cube earther. I mean, yeah, that might be true too. But I want to say <coughs> in terms of our budget, you might be wondering like, James, I don't know. Why is there even a crowdfund? Why not just have all of the debates streamed live for the public and, and that's just it. It's like, well, you know what? This actually helps us raise funds to cover the cost. Because you might be thinking like, oh, James, is everything free? Not quite. And here's why. For example, and I'm not complaining. I mean, we took on this, this goal and this challenge. And we're taking a big leap, but we know it's going to pay off. In other words, we think that we'll be able to cover with ticket sales and the crowdfund together. I think we'll be okay. And it'll allow us to do this again in the future. Because we do plan on doing another in May. But let me show you. One, on the far right side of the blue pie graph, that blue chunk is the venue itself. The venue is actually quite expensive. So it's about, on average, in Dallas, it's about $4,500 per day for a venue. It, it is quite pricey. Second, that's the average. Speaker hotel rooms is the orange chunk on the bottom. As that obviously costs money, as we are flying in the speakers... And so for them, basically, to be not, like, having to jam in both of their flights on the same day and then try to debate between those flights, that would just be exhausting. We are putting the speakers up in a hotel room, and not only that, but if you look at the far right side, or I'm sorry, what I meant to say is the, the speaker per diem for food is the orange chunk, so we are covering their food while they're there because we appreciate them being there. None of them are actually being paid honorariums. And that might be surprising to you. A lot of people think like, oh, I, I bet these people just fly around for free. And it's like, well, if they're taking time from their work, um, they, they rarely do. Like most people will want an honorarium. There were people that asked for an honorarium. And I was like, oh, I was like, maybe we can work something out. And I was like, no, I was like, you're asking for too much. To be honest, I was like, no, it's just not going to work. And we let them go. And there, were big, there was a big name person in particular. But the reason is we were like, hey, listen, we are 
willing to cover travel costs if the speakers are willing to come in and debate without an honorarium. And we're thankful. These speakers are awesome because for them to only like for them to only have their travel costs covered, I would say is a generous move on their part. We appreciate them. And so that's why we are covering their food, their hotel, their flights. And I've got to tell you, look at the chunk on the left side. That gray chunk is their flights. And so some people, we are thankful, It's some people are local, so we can actually just, that reminds me, I've got to book somebody's last minute flight. Two seconds, writing this out. Book Daniel's <coughs> flight. Is that, here's how this works. It is a big venture. And we really believe it's going to pay off. In particular, for example, we really believe modern day debate is going to have some crazy growth. Like, I think we'll probably have a new couple of thousand subscribers within the three-day span of the debate, like the first day, second day, and the day after, I think we'll probably grow by about 2,000 subscribers, I, it's, that's a, which for three days is a massive jump for us. That's like our usual per month. So this is going to be big time, and we think that it's definitely going to help us keep growing at a faster rate in the following several months. And so we are not ashamed to say we want to grow. We don't think there's anything wrong with it. We think it's a good thing because we actually believe in our vision. Namely, we are absolutely determined to provide a level playing field so that everybody can make their case on a neutral platform like Modern Day Debate. We are absolutely determined to do that and to get people from different walks of life communicating. That's our goal at Modern Day Debate and to do it in the most fair way possible. So our Twitter, our YouTube, as tempted as I am, I'm not really tempted with YouTube, but Twitter, sometimes I'm tempted to put a little juicy, spicy tweet out there that shows my own personal views, but I won't do it. The reason is Modern Day Debate, regardless of it being our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, is going to be neutral. That's something we've already decided, and that's the way it's always going to be. This channel is never going to turn into like, oh, like James is going to turn this into his pushing his own views on this or that. No, 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 no. This is always going to be a debate channel, and it's always going to be a platform for everybody to make their case on a level playing field in the fairest way possible as we try to get people from different walks of life talking. And Jerry Ray Sissom. Thank you so much for being a subscriber with Prime. I see you there in the old Twitch chat. We appreciate you subscribing with us. Seriously, thanks for using your, your, your Amazon Prime sub on us. For real, I'm dead serious. Like, that really means a lot. And <clears throat> in the old YouTube chat, pumped to say hi to you, though. My dear friends, I've been going on and on, and I do want to say thank you so much for all of your support of the channel. I am pumped, for real. I really believe... We've got a couple of people. I mean, I'm just, I'm excited about this conference. It is going to be huge. Let me show you the poster. Because you might be like, oh, James, like, there's a poster? What are you talking about? Oh, there is. Tapazzle did a fantastic job with this poster, and I've got to show it to you. So let me pull this up. Because you might be like, huh, like, who's all going to be there? This is big time, folks. This is not, like, me debating with, like, my Uncle Remus. Like, we're getting big time speakers. Believe me. You won't want to miss it. Let me just show you some of the debates because you might be thinking like, huh, like, I don't know what's all going to be there, but uh, tell me more, James. Well, I will. So, for example, here's a panel that we are planning. Destiny, Amy Newman, a surprise guest, and Xander Hall. If you look at the main page of our YouTube channel, it'll show you debates like these. We've got them all up now. And so, like I said, some of them will say you got to be there in person to watch it. That's a small percent. There's only like... Oh, man, I think there's only like three or four debates out of the 14 
that you'd have to watch in person if you wanted to see them live. And then we're going to release those eventually on Modern Day Debate, but it's just good for you to know that. And I would encourage you, though, check out our main page. So if you just click on our little icon there under the video, it'll show you all of those debates, which is just nuts. Seriously, we are absolutely pumped for this. And we're excited to fulfill this vision, and we're thankful for the speakers and helping us do that. Now, a little too high says, this is honestly fun to watch and participate in. Thank you, everybody, LOL. Thank you a little too high for your support. Seriously, we appreciate you. And this, is it Desian Wilkes or is it Deshaun? Deshaun Wilkes, I think it is. We're glad you're here. Let me know if I pronounced it right. Heat Shield, good to see you. Thanks for being with us. And thanks for being with us, David. Pumped you made it. As well as TJB, pumped you came by. Master Optics, glad to see you back. And Huge R says, is Nathan still a Patreon member? I don't know. I honestly don't. Cranky Beast 2259, want to buy James a new Spider-Man for his man. I don't know what that means. But... Extra J, pumped to have you here, as well as Nano, pumped you are with us. And Cannabear, am I saying it right? Cannabear? Oh, that must be it. We're pumped you are with us. Chad Nuts, glad you are with us. Nathan, thanks for dropping in. Sage Ohio, good to see you there. And ZXCVBNM, pumped you're with us. Flatter Viking, thanks for coming by, as well as Cro Magnum and GG Cash, glad to see you. St. May, pumped you're with us. La Tornado, good to see you again. And Rook Chavis, good to see you. Says, please hit that like button before you leave. And I do appreciate that. We appreciate that. Thank you for your support of the channel. Seriously, those are ways that you help the channel. They say it helps boost us in the algorithm. And I think there's truth to that. And we do get a lot of recommended video views. In other words, YouTube does show our videos to a lot of people. Like they recommend them in people's, because uh, I can see our stats. Like they're phenomenal. We are like YouTube has helped us grow. That's like why we've gotten to 60,000 almost in three years, a little over three years. But it has been a fun ride and we are excited about the future. Join us now while we're small, folks. Believe me, we are still small. We've got big things that we are planning. And the Mrs. Vader, pumped that you made it. Thanks for being with us. And Alpha 100, glad you are here. Extra J and Prof, Phil Bell, glad you came by. Thanks for being with us. Let's see here. Toby, glad you're here. Rock E. Shepherd and Quantum D. Greaser, thanks for being with us. Pear D. Bear, glad you're with us. And Georgie, Georgiev, thanks for being with us. Jerry Sissom, glad you're with us. And let's see here. Oliver Catwell says, I feel like you could justifiably steal. The conference money stating, quote, I told you it's debate con. I was up front the whole time. That's funny. We were excited. It's just like TwitchCon or VidCon, debate con is going to be monstrous. I am pumped for that. It is going to be the biggest debate conference in so long. For real. It is going to shake the foundations of the online debate world. We are absolutely serious about that. You guys, it's just going to be great. Heat Shield says you might want to tell new viewers what you're even talking about. Why should I be interested in what's going on? You should be interested, and that's a great question. You should be interested in this in-person debate conference that we have January 15th and 16th in Dallas, Texas. And you should show up live if you're anywhere near. The tickets for that are actually, oh, that's right. Let me put that in the chat again. As 
early bird tickets are still available. We wanted to give everybody a chance so that they weren't kind of like, oh, James, I hadn't even heard about it. Yes, we have early bird tickets. And so these are honestly dirt cheap. Like we've looked at other debate type conferences or panel conferences and we're like, hey, like we're competitive here, especially because in my opinion, my biased opinion, we're offering a bigger lineup of better debates and I've got to show you some of these. So I've already showed you on the bottom right. You can see that one. You're like, James, what else though? I mean, that's that's just one. Is there other stuff? Here's another one. This one's going to be only in person. Grudge match between Dylan Burns and Infrared on whether or not Taiwan is a part of China. You don't want to miss that. As well as, let me pull this last one up and show you this. Joe Biden on trial. Whether or not Joe Biden has delivered well since he's become the president, that is going to be there as well. You guys, that's going to be an epic one. We're going to, that's the starter for the political day. So I am pretty pumped about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can watch them from home, as I had mentioned. And you guys, it's, it's going to be absolutely based and or red-pilled, as my friend Sideshow Nab would say. Nano pumped you were with us as well as Alpha 100 and Free Thinker, glad you were with us. <clears throat> Grimlock says, what about the budget for the wicked after parties where everybody gets hammered? Yeah, I actually don't have that built into the budget. So if, if anybody wanted to get alcohol uh, and get crazy afterwards, we don't actually like offer that in terms of like we're not covering that. It's something that, we you know, this is our first conference. Maybe we'll offer a free drink in the future or something, but frankly, right now, it's just not in the cards. And frankly, I just feel like in the future, even though I don't want to be closed-minded, I don't really feel inclined toward doing that just because you guys, as the viewers, I think would rather see your funds, like your contributions to the crowdfund, or buying tickets be used for getting more speakers into the next conference because this isn't going to be our only conference. We are actually going to be doing, if this goes well, which we think it will. Probably twice a year. And bigger than you can imagine. Seriously, it is going to be a lot of fun. I, I'm pumped about it. And you guys, seriously, you will be absolutely pumped about it as well. It's going to be great. So, But yeah, I hadn't even got to tell you guys. How are you guys doing? Tell me how you are, because I am curious, and I want to know. And I do like to get to hear like how you're actually doing, rather than just me talking up here. I want to say, how are you? Nano, good to see you. says, I want to see another T-Jump and RN Raw debate. Those are my faves. That's a based idea. I like it. RN's actually traveling at that time, so we didn't get him for this conference, but we do plan on getting him for the May conference. And thank you for your kind words. Georgie Georgiev, <laughs> thanks for your kind words. And... Thank you, Cranky Beast, for your kind words. I'm pretty sure you're still uh, Sarah, but that's uh, appreciated. And Alpha 100, thanks for being here. Soy boy, and that's right. Thank you for all of you who are channel members. I don't say thank you enough, seriously. Oliver Catwell, for example, thank you so much, as well as Brooke Chavis, Sideshow Nav, Thanks for your support of the channel. Seriously, there's a lot of you out there. Jared A., thank you so much for your support. You guys, I really do appreciate it. We all do. I've got to tell you, 
happy holidays. Like seriously, I'm pumped for you. We're probably not going to have a debate for the next two nights. I'm going to take a little rest time, and I've got to recover. I'm actually a little bit sick. I'm getting better, but I am glad to get to recover the next couple of nights. We'll probably be back Sunday, and then we will... The plan is to have pretty much a debate every day leading up to the conference for the last, like, 10 days. And I've got to tell you, though, you guys, I love you guys. You guys are like a fam. You guys rock. It's just a blast with you guys, so... Happy holidays. Happy New Year. You guys, I hope you have big plans for tomorrow night. I think I may go to sleep early because I actually am just so wiped out. This week I've been wiped out from travel and I've been wiped out from being sick. So I actually probably going to go to bed early just so I can get up the next day and hammer away at Modern Day Debate Debate Con. As I'm telling you, you guys, these debates are going to be unreal. It is going to be so fun. I am seriously just pumped. So I love you guys. Thanks for all of your support. Thanks for making this channel fun because you guys really do. You guys make this channel awesome. And again, you don't want to miss this conference. Like it is going to be some top notch, like super high quality stuff. So hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and that notification bell. And that way you'll always know when new debates are coming out from that conference as well as the debates before and after that conference. Because we've also got some big ones lined up for before and after for real. We are trying to like have a good synthesized schedule where it's like, wow, we've got some awesome stuff. Craigie Beast 2259 says, I'm cranky. Good for you. And a guy, 4573, says, beta. Thanks for coming by. A guy. And the Zook, thanks for coming by. K-L-W-E-I-N. Thanks for dropping in. We're glad you were with us. And I've got to rest my voice and rest tonight. So thanks, guys. I love you guys. Seriously. It's always it's always so hard to say goodbye because I just enjoy this. So thanks, everybody. Looking forward to seeing you in the next debate. And have a great rest of your night. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.